Hello, everyone, and welcome to Weekly Manga Recap. It's the 9th of December, 2020. I am Nick here with Chris, and it's kind of cold, you know, it's, it's, it's winter. It's like it's, it's a little chilly. It's not terrible. I, I think I, I, I think it's a little, I mean, I see you have a sweatshirt on, which yes. for you in Florida means freezing. Yes. I assume yes. I assume this is like, no, no one can leave their house. It's that cold out and when it gets to Florida. I mean, regardless of the current health conditions of the world. Let me look at what the weather is right now. Oh, a balmy 67. It's 57. Fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, hey, you know what? I, you know, that's, that's probably very cold for you. So I absolutely empathize. I'm sure it's, I'm sure it's very difficult. It's not really difficult, but, it, but if I were to take this off, it'd be like, mm. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> well, I'm glad because we actually, we actually made steps, uh, in being homeowners in the past year to, uh, not have our home freezing. So hopefully though, this year you won't be able to see my breath while I record because my room is at. <laughs> that low of a temperature <laughs> who knows we haven't gotten crazy cold out yet it could still happen we'll see yeah oh uh, we have manga to talk about guys um yeah but do we really have to talk about it like who's gonna force don't. us to i actually when once we get a few series in i have a proposal for what to do with the rest of the podcast because i realized that everything afterwards i'm not super excited to talk <laughs> about so maybe we could go with my recommendation to just do a full draft show for for the world trigger chapter like we do you know <laughs> analysis on every single pick and say what we like about the pick and don't like about the pick and <laughs> my favorite thing about this out. pick is that it was a position that they needed my least favorite part is i don't don't know who this character is so i think that might be a bad character <laughs> well taichi fell to late in the round but you know what that kid's got a stupid hat so he deserved it <laughs> osamu goes second to last but he does go before taichi so all is still right in the world it's all fine <laughs> i don't care if there was a justification for why taichi was not picked instead of osamu i don't care he was picked last and i hope he gets bullied for it <laughs> <laughs> Everyone just suddenly just like, you know what? Fuck you, Titan. You got oh, like you. Fuck you, buddy. I mean, they are high schoolers and college age kids. True. That would make well, sense. Some of them are. Um, yeah, we do have chapters. Um, but we'll get into it, I guess. Yeah, just, I don't know. I, I, it's weird whenever we start a show like this. I'm like, I'm not sure. I'm excited to talk. Hey, about everything. we so. we have. A week of manga that will be interesting to discuss. That'll be complicated to discuss, if nothing else. There's there's a lot of series that have very significant chapters, but not always for good reasons. And that, you know, that, that comes part and parcel with it. Quite, quite so, quite so. All right. I guess we'll just kick things off with, with, uh, with My Hero Academia. If uh, everyone's okay with that. Oh, I heard and one guy he, in the back say no, but uh, I'm not going to listen to that. No, well, he's, I, I don't like him, him alone. <laughs> so, uh, My Hero Academia, chapter number 293, Hero Saturated Society. We begin this chapter with um, fan art that a fangirl of this series made with a bunch of handsome boys uh, in steampunk pirate attire. Uh, it's, 
It's a very nice picture. I have no idea why Kirishima is wearing uh, that mask, but... I don't either. Who's the guy behind Aizawa? Is that Dobby? I believe that's Dobby. I think it is. Um, but I'm not 100% sure. Doesn't Obviously, Dobby doesn't have, have scars? Yeah, I was going to say, doesn't Dobby have scars on his face? Yeah. So without um, that... It could also oh, be... Oh, people are saying that's Yoshindo. Who the fuck's Yoshindo? Shindo is the guy who had the earthquake powers in the uh, exam where there were the different schools that competed in order to get their provisional licenses. Was this like an the earthquake? Was arc. this like an anime arc? It it happened in the manga. You might recall that like he made sure to to shake people's hands, and you thought that it was some sort of quirk that he was like uh, doing some preparation ahead of time. But then it turned out, no, he was actually just a very nice formal guy who wanted to shake everyone's hands. And then he had earthquake powers. This is not the tornado guy then. Cause when you bring up the like right. license exam, I'm like, well, there was tornado guy who obviously didn't leave enough of an impact right. for me to remember his name. And then there was cat suit girl that was toga in disguise. I assumed those were the only characters that we were introduced to. <laughs> Huh. Well, there we go. We learned something new. One of these days, one of these days, we're going to like challenge each other. Like, you're going to challenge me to name One Piece characters. I'm going to challenge you to name My Hero Academia characters. And just, we'll just, I that'll, be in the, that'll be the end of the podcast. We'll turn on each other and <laughs> things will end in blood. So. I was say, I legitimately think you would win that one because there's a lot of characters in, in My Hero when they show up. I'm like, yes, I have not heard of you but i believe you could exist in the universe so that's something yeah but i'm the one who's actually tasked with recapping one piece and i'm just like here is a character (laughs) (laughs) chris remember that one time when the twist was that sapo had appeared and i thought it was mr two (laughs) because i forgot about (laughs) sapo's entire <laughs> yeah, when when Sabo showed up and there was the reveal and Luffy looked all happy and stuff, I was like, it was Mister Two, right? And you're like, no, it's Sabo. <laughs> you're like, oh, okay. Ah, <laughs> uh, good times. Uh, anyway, the chapter actually begins with, "Hey, Lemillion is here. Mirio has shown up. He's in his superhero gear. We saw him intangible fight through the rocks." the rocky ground and Deku is like you're here but how which is a good question to start things off with and Mirio starts off the explanation by saying oh we got word from nearby so I rushed over using my my permeation travel method it's like that's not the question Deku's asking we get a flashback that actually explains this Um, and he basically we actually get see that he had actually talked with uh, a bunch of people beforehand about the battle plan. So, you know, everyone's there like, you know, with to like see Aerie for one of her visits. And uh, Miro's like, hey, I want to help out with this plan however I can. And he actually talked to Aerie and was like, I know you've been practicing on bugs and lizards uh, and I've seen the progress you're making. So please, Aerie, will you try out your rewind power on me? Aerie shares a look with Aizawa and and he nods and she's like, yeah, don't be sorry. This is why I'm training. So she she, she remembered the guy, the guy who saved her. And that's very sweet. You, we see that her horn had grown back uh, a little bit, which, of course, is associated with her quirk. And it worked. So 
Now, come to think of it, if Deku was there when she tried this, I don't know why he's confused that Mirio was there and why he was like, but how? Because if he was there for this, then... I would (laughs) presume everyone leaves before that part happens, but we don't see enough of the couch or the scene to really know. But yeah, that that would be very confusing. If Deku's like, how did you get there? Like, you were there. (laughs) I can go do things again. Look. (laughs) You bought my bus ticket here. What do you mean, how am I here? Deku was like, oh, I was just having one of my thinking about how much I love all my sessions. <laughs> I was I, every now and then I just cycle through the all my products catalog in my brain. So I'm just I- ignorant of everything that happens around me. Oh, OK. So are, are you are you struggling with these villains? Who? What? Oh, God, that guy's got a hand on his face. So. Mirio's here. These guys quirk back. Hooray. And then very strangely. Uh, he starts like throwing rocks at one of the high end. Uh, he starts fighting one of the high end Nomu. It doesn't work because of his permeation ability. And he's like, my power is not enough to take these Nobu down with one punch. So. And then the high end Nomu go for best genus who I guess appears between them. And then he goes, someone, anyone, which is also very confusing to me because he just kind of went from, I'm very glad to be here to, I'm not able to take all these things down at one go to, oh, no, something bad is happening. And I don't know if he means to himself or to best genist. I think, anyway. it's, I, I think it's that a bunch of the target best genus and he knows he won't be able to intervene to stop all of them. That makes sense, I guess. I'm not one. Of, I, I don't know. Yeah. Anyway. There is a glint in the background. And we see that basically I guess Bakugo is recalling what he did in the moment before he pushed Deku out of the way, how he actually managed to get to him to the point that he managed to intercept the spire things that Shigaraki sent out. He says they were like nothing I'd ever done before condensed faster, stronger. I've never felt that sensation like being on death's door in total crisis. So essentially, it sounds like he basically got a power boost because he reacted on instinct to protect someone uh, in mm-hmm. a very dire situation. He does that again just now as Best Genius is being ganged up on by these high end Nomu. But this time, he's not the only one moving as he says to himself that he's got to save him. Ida's there. And look, Chris, Nedure didn't go down to one attack. She's there, too. And she helps out. And she's only slightly burned. Well, she is actually pretty badly burned, but she's fine. (laughs) So each of them basically seems to uh, intercept one of the Nomu. And hooray. Teamwork. That all worked out. As Bakugo flies by, Best Genus doesn't seem to take notice of the fact that he's, you know, very beaten the fuck up and says, have you experienced the world, Bakugo? And Bakugo says, well, that name was temporary. I held off the big reveal until you could hear it. And we, of course, get the recap about you know the conversation that they had, which is set up this very moment. And Bakugo says, starting today, I'm great explosion murder god dynamite. So it appears he didn't take the feedback that everyone gave him on all of his other name ideas the way that they intended it. It's like, no. You don't need one at the end. You need to stop saying murder. But nope. <laughs> he stuck to his guns. So he's dynamite. 
but with a lot of stuff in front of it, too. Uh, Mirio kind of chuckles and says, that's a great hero name. There's a real sense of humor to it. And Baku's like, no, it's not. It's not funny. Fuck you. Uh, <laughs> so joke to it. You're an asshole. I'll kill you. <laughs> but Mirio says, a world without smiles and humor has no bright future. So no offense. That's just my motto. So, of course, he was Night Eye student. So nice little nod there. Uh, Gigantamachia is still tied down, but of course he is still rampaging around. And uh, everyone's like, all right, let's wrap this up. Dobby and Todoroki are still fighting. Dobby rushes in and like bear hugs Todoroki uh, saying, oh, poor Shoto, no fun for you while your friends are having a blast. Just pain. Uh, And Todoroki's like, you're burning up, too. And Dobby's like, yeah. Anyway, I've got a speech. So I've, I've got to talk to you. <laughs> but, but, it's re- but it's really going to hurt, Dad. So, you know, it's, it's, all, it's all for it. Uh, he says, it's great that you were raised with love. I'm fine because I'm really happy right now. Look at that face. Look at Endeavor's face. The guy is going to watch his puppet masterpiece burn up and die in the fire of his failed experiment. And he can't do anything. Look, he's totally... My fire burns you to ash. I wonder what kind of face that'll make. I mean, I'll be dead, so I won't get to see you, but oh well. I can imagine. I got a pretty vivid imagination. I got a good imagination. Deku sends out a black whip to try and break up the fight, and he manages to separate the two of them. And Deku's like, I mean, come on, everyone's moving right now. I don't care if my arms and legs are done. And he recalls all the training that he went through together with everyone to prepare to use black whip. And he uses froppy style, mimicking Suyu's tongue lash technique to send out a black whip through his mouth. And um, it doesn't do anything. Because... <laughs> Such a fire I'm... sends it away. And he's like, go away. <laughs> I'm sorry. I just want to interrupt here. There's a lot of points to this chapter that we'll, we'll talk about a lot more in detail. But I need to interrupt to just say froppy style is the dumbest thing in this chapter and in this series, I think, to this point, I do not humanly know how anyone else is able to look at this panel and not laugh. Because every time I look at it, because it's so, ah, like, it's it's the fucking fire in my beam, dude. Like, I don't get it. <laughs> like, I... I can't even like think. So I'm like, so he can use that if I guess any part of his body, like any orifice or anything, like so that. Matter. Yeah. Then I'm immediately like, why doesn't he shoot it from his butt and swing around like a spider? So like I don't like I'm just like I'm trying to like because in my hand I'm like he makes the whips with his hands and pulls. So I'm like imagining like a little tiny tongue trying to wrap around the black thing like. Like I try to tug it in and shit like that. It's just so fucking dumb. So the actual training that Deku was preparing for this was to, was by like tying cherry stems in a knot in his mouth. It's like, come on, you gotta ha- you gotta be able to hold on to things with your mouth. Deku. Yeah, you, you gotta have that dexterity. You gotta get a grip. Uh, Dobby is like, go away, family business. But Deku's like, it is my business. Todoroki's my friend, and Endeavor's my mentor, who made me stronger, kind of. So. <laughs> 
But he says the past never dies. But that's why I'm watching Endeavor real hard as he tries to be better. And guess what? You aren't Endeavor. And Dobby's like, true. (laughs) (laughs) You got me there, I guess. And Dobby's like, (laughs) he's so up his own ass at this point because he says, well, yeah, but you've got to pity me, though. The age justice did vile things and I'm the result and evil's thriving justice is losing the war all I'm doing is showing you sentimental dopes who's to blame for that (laughs) crawling in my skin these wounds (laughs) so uh, at that moment Gigantamaki just swells up Bestinus is unable to hold him back any any further as Dobby is bragging about how evil will triumph because good is dumb. Best news can't do anything. Endeavor, however, has regained himself. He charges up through the air and um, he's seemingly uppercuts uh, Gigantomachia after dashing up to his head. And Gigantomachia falls to the ground and suddenly just not feeling like moving anymore and everyone go because mirio says yeah i got a message from the gang at the villa that they said that their strategy had no effect but now the sedative must have worked and we see kirishima's group recovering from having gigantomachia run through them but hey that whole thing that they tried so hard to do to get the uh anesthetic in his mouth it seems to have actually paid dividends in the battle Mm mm-hmm Chris, I actually like this chapter despite hating very small <laughs> moments all throughout it because this is the first chapter of My Hero Academia in a month or two that feels like things are actually coming together as opposed to, and here's another thing coming back. Mm. This is like, okay, you can see the threads that have actually happened in this story arc all coming into play. Bakugo has been there for this whole time and he got to do his big name reveal thing. Nedra and Ida were there with Bakugo, so they were able to play a role in intercepting the Nomu. All this stuff happened to get the anesthetic in and Gigantomachia's mouth, and hey, that paid off in this chapter. So it feels like, all right, yay, things that had been set up have happened now, as opposed to, hey, remember that thing from a few years ago? Yeah, it's coming back now. So. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, I, I agree. I like this chapter uh, in a more pessimistic way. I did kind of realize, like, well, I, I better like this chapter. This was fucking everything. This was everything thrown into a chapter, basically. Uh, but this is a chapter where I, I, you know, I definitely felt like I had to eat a little bit of crow because I was. I feel like we've been pretty critical of Horikoshi's writing for a while now. And this was a time where at least, you know, a couple different elements of his story has come together you know that feeling of like okay so i guess the sedative thing wasn't a complete waste okay i like even though it's like yeah but that was still really poorly handled with ashido but you know maybe he'll still come up with something out of that uh and nezre is not completely knocked out although ultimately her moment there doesn't really have anything because she has no real this is clearly a bakugo moment in the same way i like ida ida is very superfluous to that scene it was bakugo shows up and announces his big hero named the best genus so but, but yeah that's fine it's it's in there as well um 
but the, the the small moments here and there do weigh a lot. And as you said, it, it feels like we're moving into something. It feels like that training arc with Endeavor matters because after this big Dobby reveal, Deku's going to stand up for him. And even though it's, it looks absolutely ridiculous, here's even more context to why Deku was training with all you know, those other three characters to help him learn Black Whip and how he's he's got extra tricks up his sleeve just because of that and everything else like that. So I, I definitely appreciate all these little touches in here. And I think this is an exciting chapter. Um, I don't know where we go from here, but uh, this time it's in an exciting way. Like, I wonder how this will end. Yeah, yeah. It's... Uh... Some chapters give give you that sense with a note of excitement and some with just confusion. Mm -hmm. Uh, So (laughs) it's nice to have the former uh, apply here. Yeah. All right. Let's talk about Kaiju number eight. It's chapter 19. Uh, We get another flashback to begin a chapter to establish that Kafka talked to. Oh, gosh, I've forgotten her name. Damn. Uh, not Shinomiya, but something similar. To, oh, no, it is Shinomiya, I think, right? Shinomiya. Sit. Or who is she? Kaiju. Well, I typed Shinomiya. Yeah. Shinomiya. Kikaru Shinomiya. Okay. All right, all right. I, I might have gotten confused with her first last name thing. Anyway, yeah. uh, he's talking with her. Kikoru is, is her first name. Right. Okay. Uh, and just saying like, Hey, I gotta, you know, go find Reno and Iharu. And because, you know, we can't tell anywhere where they are. So if it's the same humanoid Kaiju that you encountered, then I can detect him with my powers. So that's why he showed up this way. And he tells her, take care of things here before rushing off. Uh, and before she could really do anything about it, she's, you know, surrounded by people again. And, uh, she hears radio chatter later that oh we've come across a humanoid kaiju in the southeast area it appears to be kaiju number eight and she's like oh shit because, <laughs> because as hoshina you know is like all right copy that i'm gonna dispatch a neutralization squad kikoru's just like shouting up to this guy that moron <laughs> <laughs> so of course we see that the squad has intercepted kafka and uh He's distracted by them, which means the humanoid kaiju is like, all right, I've got a chance to escape. Uh, I know your profile now. Next time I'll kill you as his body starts to like smoke and cinder. Uh, which it seems to be fading away. So he's probably going to go back in his human guys and, you know, mm-hmm. run. Uh, Kafka tries to stop him. He launches some bullets to cover his escape and Kafka has to block them from hitting the two uh, members of the squad that were sent to, you know, stop him. And uh, the human kaiju is like, you know, for a kaiju, you have some human-like behavior. I'll see you again. And he's gone. So Kafka realizes, all right, I got to get away too. He hits the ground to create a smoke screen basically for himself. Right, jumps up into the air, observes that Iharu and uh, Ren are, are being helped. So he's like, all right, I might have let that guy go, but I saved them. So things are good. I got to get to somewhere that's safe for me to change back. And uh, he manages to escape into an alleyway. And then Hoshina shows up and he's like, I've got you where I want you. Kaiju number eight. As he walks towards Kafka, preparing to draw his blades, which honestly, literally 
if this had been an eight page chapter and this had happened and we had ended on this moment, I would be like, God damn it. Completely satisfying. Honestly, the, the, the page after that where Hoshina just gets on the radio and says, I'm here and I've made contact with Kaiju number eight. And you just cut to the other characters reacting, hearing that call is one of the most like, like, I don't know how else to describe it. I was sucked into that moment because you see, first and foremost, like, God, poor fucking Reno. He's like mm-hmm. basically be medvaced away and he's like, oh, God, no, like he might die now because of it. You see Kokoru worried and then just that that thing of Ashino hearing it and being like, ah, you've engaged with it. It's just a very cool moment where you feel all that tension at once. It's so excellent. Mm-hmm. Uh, so. Hoshina kind of says mockingly to Kafka, seems you've been taking good care of my officer. Huh? So he seems to have heard about what happened. Uh, but uh, so I wonder where, if that's going to pay off in any way. Uh, I love the acting to this. It's like neutralization squad is vice captain Hoshina. <laughs> it's like he's the squad. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, Reno is like, no, he's going to kill Kafka. And as soon as we cut back to Hoshina and Kafka, Hoshina is immediately dashing in with this big, weird, I don't know exactly how to describe it, this weird stance he's making in in this slashing pattern. He's got both of the blades are held so that the blade is with the point down uh, as he's attacking, kind of Kukri style. And... Kafka, of course, can he manages to dodge backwards. He's like, this guy's fast. <laughs> so, uh, so he's just dodging Hoshina's blows as Hoshina attacks him. And he recalls that Hoshina had said, yeah, when it comes to, you know, miniature and midsize targets, I'm probably stronger than, you know, your love interest girl. And he's like, yeah, he's really, <laughs> he's really strong. Uh and Hoshina's like, you know, I'm pretty sure I hit you at least twice back there. So you must be pretty tough. Uh, and Kafka is like, he's always seemed so goofy, uh, but this is what Vice Captain Hoshina looks like when he's killing Kaiju. And you can tell like this weird, sinister, determined look that he's got in his face, even though the face mask is covering up his mouth just from those eyes, those, those bullseye pattern eyes. He's, he's real intense and powerful. It, it, it's, it's fucking with me now. Because we've talked about this before, whether these eyes are supposed to be like a special thing or just uh, an aesthetic thing. And the fact that one eye has it fucking going on, but the other eye does it. It's just like it keeps adding wrinkles. He's, he's Takashi. <laughs> it keeps making me be like, is that purposeful or just like only one eye had the scene at one point? It's fucking with me. So Hoshina says, guess I'll have to really let you have it. He gets on the radio and requests permission for limiter removal and unleashes 92% combat power while he starts to basically take like a runner stance almost. And he says, you're as good as neutralized. So Kafka's in kind of deep shit right now, it looks like. And this is really intense. And I'm looking forward to seeing how this plays out. Is he going to get away? Is Hoshina going to find out who he is? What's going to happen? So. Yeah, it's a supremely cool chapter. Really, really good. Loved it. And uh, <laughs> let's go to... Let's go from 
18th gear to first gear. <laughs> Here we go. Wait, let's go to eight pages would have been enough for this chapter to, I can't believe that's all of it, but I guess that's what we get. <laughs> so it's World Trigger. Chapter 204, The Away Mission Test, Part 2. So. <laughs> really? You have to stop to think for a moment. They don't even finish the draft in this chapter. <laughs> and there's not that many interesting picks left. It's you saying, and that's kind of it. We basically get an explanation of how the selection test is going to work. So it was like, here, we, we're going to tell you who the captains of each of the squads are. The, the captains are Udagawa, OG, uh, fucking Kakizaki, Zoe, which was a surprising choice. We <laughs> Karuma, Kodera, Suwa, Ninomiya, Mizukami, Murakami, and Wakamura who I believe is from Katori squad. Yeah. He's the, he's, I think he was the one who basically tried to take command in their last B rank mission. And the choices he made kind of bombed out for the team. Uh, but still, I guess he kind of impressed by like kind of taking some level of leadership. Hmm. Um, yeah, so not all of the people who are being selected to be captains are captains, obviously. A fair number of them are, but not all of them. Uh, and so essentially from there, uh, we also get it as like, here, here, these are the operators. I don't know so many of these. This it's, it's, it's <sighs> sort of like they get even less face time than a lot of the minor characters. I recognize that Some. I recognize Some. She's Kitora Squad's uh, operator. She gets assigned with Zoe, uh, but almost all of them. Otherwise, I'm like, I don't really know who that is. All I know is that Shiori is not one of the operators. She will be one of those who just helps to administer the test behind the scenes. Mm -hmm. So that's the main thing that comes out of this. There's like three or four that I can pick out. I guess the only other one that's notable is Nasu Squad's operators in there. And the she's the one who it doesn't like men and gets assigned a squad of all men. It's, well, oh. so far. So it's going to be a little sad if they can't pick up at least one girl for that team. I've got no one to talk to. <laughs> Can I know, before we start this, World Trigger prides itself on all these like intricate things. There's such an exceedingly elaborate ranking system to kind of ensure that I guess no one who is undeserving would ever make it to A Squad. Like It's so brutal how good at B Squad you basically have to be for a while before you ever get A Rank Squad. They decide, like, all right, we're going to run a draft. And you're like, oh, how are we running this draft? In the worst way possible, random draw lottery, but no snake. You'll just draw again. <laughs> so you're like, wait. So if you, so if you get if you get a last pick, you're just like fucked for that round. Yeah. That's all that, that comes out of it. And then you could just get last pick again next time, too. There's awesome. nothing. You could get the. Nino, Ninomiya. prevent you from getting the leftovers every time, basically. Ninomiya. The fucking hot cock walk of the town just fucking walks up and gets a top pick in both rounds of this draft. He gets the first one for the first round, and I think the second one for the second round. Yeah. It's ridiculous. <laughs> it's... <laughs> so, 
they they also go over like the only other real rule uh, is that they've divided up all the other people participating in the test into pools of people. And from 11, you're going to go in a randomly decided order and pick one of them, which means that for the person who draws the last one, they don't even get to pick from the 23 remaining after the first round is nearly over. They're just left with the last person in pool one. The only uh, other rule they make is that um, former squad mates can't be put in the same squad together for this whole thing. So literally no one who is on a squad right now, or normally rather, can end up on the same squad for this test. That includes operators too. It's all new people. So they're like here draw lots and fucking you know me a big awesome up first because he's, a, he's a, <laughs> i love that like sue is like come on you know me a first. Like, what the fuck dude this is supposed to be fair for all of us he's like sucks to suck it's great he says nothing but you know in his mind he's like sucks to suck nerd <laughs> of I'm not, we're not going to go over every single one. Like I said, I kind of wanted, to, I, I kind of want to just like go break. We'll just do a rehash of the, of the bonus that we did of the tier list for world Rear, but from the, <laughs> with the framing device of a draft. Uh, can I be Mel Kiper and you're Todd McShay and we start really fighting over certain traps picks or something like picks Ozima squad first, a nearly 26 year old sniper. Kagayora's younger. He's hungrier. He should have been the first pick. This was a waste. This was an absolute waste, and you're wrong. Niamia doesn't need a mid-range attacker. He needs a long-range attacker. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> um, they do kind of note that there is a little bit of, like, the schoolyard uh, picking thing going on here because, like, those people who aren't picked early on are just, like, left there feeling bad for themselves not getting <laughs> that's, that's the other thing why is this done in front of them why didn't they take these guys to a separate room and make the selections there and just come out with the teams why do you have to vividly be aware of when you're being picked they also make the point that uh snipers are not generally going to be favor very highly despite the fact that Azuma got picked first because of the bagworm because like this thing that we're preparing for is going to be a stamina test so if you are using a bagworm you're continuously draining your try on mm -hmm. so that's the big thing that happens uh the only other the only pick that I actually want to go over is the fact that Sua picks uh Oki the guy who's got the only kind of stupid hat whose whose existence I will tolerate mm -hmm. uh then they just draw lots again to decide who's going to be picked uh, first. And so we get to... It's, it's, it's so fucking... So... It's so ridiculous. He, wait, I think he, he legitimately gets first and second. It's so fucked up. So Urugawa goes first and he's like, I'm going to take Yuma first for this one. Of course, Yuma's going to be highly yeah. favored. He is one of the most promising attackers in all of B rank. Then Ninomiya goes and he's like, give me another super broken sniper. Cheek commissaries. I'll do all the other attacking. Give me all snipers. <laughs> oh, 
everyone obviously everyone uh in Osamu's squad is kind of surprised to get that information. Uh OG Pixie Coma, uh ba 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 ba. We get down towards the towards the end of it, and we hear Sua's thought process for this pick, which is I can choose between Taichi or Mikumo. And I've already got Oki. I don't need a second sniper. Because Ninumiya got the best two in this entire draft, so it's pointless to try that. <laughs> he picks Osamu ahead of Taichi, who is crying, which is how he should always be. So then <laughs> it's like, all right, Osamu's like going over everything. He's like, all right, Yuma's in a squad, Chika's in a squad, I'm in a squad, and that just leaves Hughes. And the chapter fucking ends before the final <laughs> pull gets picked. We've got to wait till next year. To it's such a fucking. It is exactly the chapter I want for fucking Ashihara, though. I would have almost been annoyed if he had finished the draft. Like, oh, so we just get everything now. I don't have to sit here on my fucking sitting on my cock waiting, do I? If you imagine it's that like it all takes place off panel. It's like, oh, wait, I want to see how this went down. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like, I, I really like it. Like, I, I want a, a, a scene then, too, to show every one of these teams meet. It's it, it takes place over the course of a summer for us, basically, of chapters showing all these teams meeting and, and getting lunch for the first day or some shit like that. I'm glad that you said summer because that means that there can be six more months where nothing happens. <laughs> well, the next round's going to take two chapters. <laughs> for some reason, the first One six. Of the guys like, do, do I go for? Oh, One of they're just like agonizing over like, do I go for Katori or Teruya? Yeah, some dude just like, huh, Tome or Obishima, huh? And you're like everyone's sitting there being like, this is pick seven. Let's hurry this up. He's like, hold on. <laughs> there are some oh. interesting things. There are legitimately some interesting things that come out of this. Um, one of the squads that's probably going to be the most interesting to follow is going to be Utagawa's squad because Utagawa is an A-rank member, but not a captain. So that's an interesting element there. He has Yuga on his squad, and he also has, I forget the squad's name, but the, the one-man squad, the Rambo squad. That person is also on that team. So that looks to be one of the scarier teams out there. I assume also intentionally there are quite a few teams that are kind of going to suck because there's some that you just look at and you're just like, well, who the fuck's on this team? I don't know who any of you characters are. And you're just like, yeah, that's probably just going to be how it is, you know? We also seem to be getting a lot of focus uh, from Wakamura's perspective, the the, the uh, Katori squad uh, guy who tried to take charge. Mm -hmm. So maybe that's setting up something. It could just very well be that amongst all of these guys who are leading captains, he's the most like fish out of water, regular guy. I was gonna and say that might be it. But what if he like gets lucked into like pick number one for the last pool and he's the one who gets use? It might be something like that. In my mind, I was like, well, he's the least interesting non-captain 
to be picked to be captain. So because this test is apparently specifically not going to test Osamu on, it's just going to test him as a normal person, not as a captain. True, we true. needed We needed someone to fulfill that role of giving like a real insight on being the captain's process and Watamura or Wakamura is the closest to that. So in my mind, that's where it is. But that would be an interesting development if he gets picked first and takes use. And then like now, like it's kind of interesting how the squad goes. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see how things go. I mean, yeah. there there is some interesting stuff that it, that this is setting up. And as unfair as the whole process is, it, it does make it more interesting. <laughs> like the fact does. that it's like. That Nina Mia squad is so unfairly stacked for this, like that makes it more interesting. It, so. it does, but it's such a fucking kick to the penis. If you were there, you're like, all right, he's already the best fucking captain in this group, pretty much. He's like the second strongest sniper in fucking border, and you get him two top picks. What is this? Oh, I, I hope he has. I hope he has pick number two in the third. I hope he gets a high pick in every fucking like, round. I'll take Yutora too. <laughs> oh god, yeah, he comes in there. He's like, uh, give me Yuba, the only dude who could possibly challenge me in this group or whatever. Like fucking something stupid. <laughs> or he takes fucking he takes Emma and he's just like, I'm just gonna hang back and let you guys snipe everybody. Guys, go do it. I'll be like moving. <laughs> All right. All right, Nick. Let's move on. Let's talk about Eden Zero. Yeah. Eden Zero, chapter 122, Titanic Victory. And we get a cover spread where Sister is doing a nude painting of Hamor. And I'm not sure what information is meant to convey to us because Sister's painting is horrifying and abstract. She's painted Hamor with one button eye. And her arms are flat. I don't... Is this how she sees Hamora or just how she sees people? I'm very confused. It's the and style of artwork, Chris. You know. I know it is, but this looks like she's revealing herself to be a serial killer. Why does she need to be nude if she wasn't going to draw her realistically anyway? She's just going to draw button eyes and shit. Because <laughs> that's what artists do. I guess. Uh, oops. Hold on a second. All right. There we go. Uh, so... <laughs> Last time, uh, not a lot happened, honestly, and we were introduced to the crazy doctor from Hermit's story, and that's where we're introduced to him again, and he just, like, slinks forward and giggles to himself the whole time, and they're like, how are you here? I know his name's Dr. Mueller, he's just going to be crazy dude from Hermit's backstory to me now, because I don't really think he actually is a character, he's just, uh, like, an abstract construct of, like, discomfort to force upon fucking hermit basically uh because he basically is like i was in prison but it exploded and i escaped also i caused the explosion and then he he very quickly is like no i should i didn't belong in prison i i was a good it was a conspiracy they were trying to do it i stacked the supreme court no one could stop them no president has ever won ohio and florida and lost the election uh you know a lot of very reasonable stuff then he's like, hey, I'm also a robot now. That's actually a pretty sweet. A 25-year-old woman sleeping with a 15-year-old male student shouldn't be the same as an old man sleeping with a 5-year-old boy. <laughs> so. Uh, so she's like, hey, yeah, this is this this is the guy I hate because this is the guy that made me hate humans. Why it's like, oh, okay. So he, like, cocks the gun or I guess just picks it up because it goes like a clank sound. And immediately I'm like, 
I would just start shooting, but whatever. <laughs> what, a, what a great scene would this be if Weiss heard that and he's like, okay, and just blew the guy away and that was the end of it. It would be like, all right, Weiss cares for her, for Herbert and he just murked this dude. That would be awesome. <laughs> I legit- no, we I, more speech. <laughs> I legitimately have no idea why he's not firing at this point. It's not even as though they were told they were innocent people and that they were like, you have to get to this ship and just blow it up, basically. <laughs> Stop the virus and like upload a virus. So he's just not... Um, and he basically is like, oh, the I'm not in charge of everything here. That's the skull bot. He just put me in charge of managing the server. And as a reward, I get to use all the humans on Forresta as my test subjects. And I'll get to experiment on you, Hermit. So then Wise gets shocked by, like, a floor panel or something. And then stuff happens. Oh, I was just about to shoot him. Oh. <laughs> and then, like, the, the hero quasi-bondage fetish scene starts. So we're just going to move ahead. Uh, we cut over to the space battle. It's actually, it's actually really like, because it's clearly like tapping into Hermit's trauma. Mm. So it's like, okay, Hero, I'll actually give you the benefit of the doubt if you don't sex this up. But I feel like he's going to <laughs> at some point. Uh, everyone's like, holy shit, Hermit went crazy. What's going on? And suddenly, Clean just starts panicking. She's like, oh no, someone bad is here nearby. We cut down, and Shiki and the gang are fighting against the real Beast Squad number one. They're like, hey guys, so you're the kids who beat Beast Squad six. Well, they suck. We're here. We're Beast Squad one. We're the highest ranking squatted beast. And then a dude falls from the sky and crushes them and beats them all. Hold on. There's, There's a really weird moment that happens here where they show up. And Shiki just goes, these guys are stronger than the last guys. How does he know that? You can feel it. Uh, he has a scanner built into his eye or something. Oh, he's <laughs> you know, like just that shonen fiery passion. You could sense like, hold on. This guy's stronger than the last one. Uh, <laughs> a big guy comes down, crushes all of them, crushes the entire group. Another guy shows up and then captures all of them into cages. And B-Squad 1 has been completely defeated. Uh, and then, as if to tell you... Who gives a fuck? The one guy's like, oh yes, they're from Nero's commando team, Beast. They rank under Oceans. And as a reader, you just have to sit here, you're like, if you just fucking clowned Beast Squad 6, and then you clowned Beast Squad 1, I don't give a fuck who Oceans is. <laughs> but we'll we'll drop that name on there, because... Chris, if we just have... A monster gets squashed by another monster, and then that monster gets squashed by another monster. Then that third monster will be super built up because oh. that's how people's minds work. Yes, that's why everyone who fights Goldberg gets a huge rub off of it. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> uh, so Justice shows up, not Gerard, and is like, I think his name's Justice. I can't remember. I think it is. I don't know. He says, if they haven't deployed oceans yet, then it must not mean he thinks this scene is serious. Or, and then he kind of stops, and his group sees, like, Shiki and Hamora, and they're like, who are these people? And they're like, well, they look like they're just tourists, but... And Justice's like, wait a minute. You were on Elsie's ship. And he just says, you know Elsie? And he says, Justice's like, the Demon King. And 
Jiggy's like, yeah, we're friends with Elsie too. Does this feel like we're about to be friends? And Hamora's like, no, I, I think it's the opposite of that. <laughs> They're from the Interstellar <laughs> Union Army. I, don't think it's, I think we're about to not be friends. And of course, Jiggy's just like, hey, we haven't done anything wrong. Uh, just like Ziggy is the one destroying this planet. And Jiggy's like, but Ziggy, Grandpa and I aren't even friends anymore. So he's like, all right, you know what? This guy has inherited Ziggy's power. And he tells his one cohort Creed to apprehend the girl. So boom, Homura gets locked into the ether cage thing. And he's like, okay, you, both of you return to the ship. From here on in, I'm operating as a member of Eurasian 6 Interstellar. And she, yeah, remember, remember, there's several Eurasian 6s in this universe. Uh, and then Shiki runs forward and is like, give me back my friend! And uh, basically, Justice stops it. I don't know why Comixology is not loading for me, but if I recall, the, the end of the chapter is just uh, Justice stopping the attack and being like, no, this is my Justice. There's some stupid horse shit like that. He says, in the name of Justice, yeah. I will not let you see tomorrow. Yeah, something along those lines. Um... Chris, so you know that, what this you know what this uh, this story arc needed? Uh another group involved uh <laughs> with their own uh plans. So here here's um here's the thing. Normally I would agree with you, but actually I am far more interested in seeing these characters interact than B Squad One or the true. now the now infamous oceans that we've yet to meet. Um I don't like to speak in big hyperboles a lot, except I do. Uh, I want to go on the record here. Hero creates the worst villain groups ever. I do not think there is a shonen manga author who is worse at creating villain groups than Hero, sheerly by sh like just by sheer volume of. Like the fifty thousand different villain groups Hero has created in his lifetime, and I'm like, I don't know if I I know equally as much about B Squad One as I do about like fucking some random ass group from Fairy Tale, and there were a lot of them. I had to like stop and try to think, and I can't honestly remember all of them. But people post pictures, and I'm like, oh yeah, I guess that was a group, and shit along those lines. They're like, oh yeah, I guess fucking. Raven Tail was a group in fucking Fairy Tail, or uh, fucking. Were they know, the ones that were supposed to be ra Fairy Tail's rivals or something? <laughs> yeah, and then they kind of teased that like uh, Lax's dad would come back and be like crazy powerful, but then they just, I guess he just didn't come back again. They did. <laughs> yeah, they they revealed like he was in league with Zeref, and then he just never showed up again. <laughs> There's a lot of, like, random-ass characters and shit like that. I just... I don't know, man. There's, there's fucking... We want, what do you want out of this chapter? I guess it's a hero chapter you could kind of enjoy, except the front half makes me very nervous. Because as you said, it's a very traumatic scene for Hermit. And you're like, I don't want it to go where hero usually takes this. Yeah. Well, we'll get to that next week, Chris. Mm -hmm. Probably. Chainsaw Man. Vroom. We've got... It's uh, winding down. Yeah. Or is it? 
Uh, yes, it is. <laughs> well, yes and no. Uh, but I don't know if I should say what the reveal for next week is. Not spoilers for the actual chapter content, but what right, the right, special right, announcement right, is. Right, right. We'll save that then. Um, but as far as the manga is concerned, according to what has actually been said in this chapter itself, the final chapter is next week. Yes. Until we get Chainsaw Man 2, chained more, saw less. I don't know. So, which is kind of what we're getting. (laughs) Chapter 96, this kind of taste. So, last time Makima ripped out Denji's heart, Denji, the uh, Pochita heart from his stomach, seemingly killing him. And uh, she goes over to one of the many, many, many dead bodies that, you know, were used in the battle against Denji, takes out a pack of cigarettes from his coat pocket and lights a cigarette and just kind of slumps against uh, one of the headstones. And then she starts coughing. So I don't know, maybe she doesn't actually smoke. And she's just like, oh, that was good. Uh, I think that that is the actual implication of this because she really, really, really wanted to fight Chainsaw Man. So So she takes out uh, the little Pochita heart and it's like, I've beaten you twice now, Chainsaw Man. You belong to me now. We'll be together forever. And she like starts cuddling against her face and says, we'll eat a lot. We'll sleep together. We'll have a happy life together. And while she's cuddling it, one of the bodies stands up and a chainsaw starts to rev up as she turns to look over her shoulder. And Denji has a chainsaw in his hands and he cuts her diagonally across the torso and her blood goes everywhere. Turns out Denji disguised himself as one of the bodies. How, you may ask? Well, he explains that as Makima falls in shock to her knees. And he's like, yeah, you just let your guard down. I'll be taking Pochita back now, thanks. And he picks up the Pochita heart and puts it in his chest. I'm not sure if he's just slipping it under his shirt or as he explains what, or basically he's putting it back inside of himself, as he explains. He's like, I mean, that was close. I used up every last drop of the blood power gave me. And Maki's like, how? how? And, and Denji explains the Denji you were fighting. That entire time, that was a Pochita I tore off of my heart. I vaguely remembered being able to fight like that. So, yeah. And, oh, yeah. I remember when he was the Chainsaw Man and he got blasted into orbit and he threw the Pochita heart back and it grew into himself. That's what he did. So Denji learned a thing, Chris. Hooray. Yep. Makima's wound is not recovering. And Denji explains that it's healing slow because he made the chainsaw he just cut her with from Power's blood. So that's causing it to run amok inside of Makima. And Makima's like, this isn't enough to kill me. And Denji's like, I don't expect it to kill you. And a van drives up at that moment. And he says, ah, Master's here to pick us up. Sorry about this, Ms. Makima. And he holds the chainsaw up to her head and we cut away to people going about days all across Japan The night falls and Kishibe comes into Denji's place and he's like, my back's killing me. You ready? And Denji's like, yep, I'm ready. And Kishibe explains, you know, you're just getting started. You're going to be handling everything personally from this point on. 
and if some people are losing their lives, even if we speak, I'd prefer if you moved along quick as you can, but you can't exactly rush bodily functions. And then she agrees and says, I'm going to go at my own pace. And Kishibe says, I don't believe you can kill Makimo with the method you're going to try. Be prepared for the possibility you'll fail and die. And then she's like, well, yeah, but I came up with this idea in the first place. I've been prepared for this. So Kishibe leaves him in the apartment and is like, I'll be back if you're still alive. <laughs> so <laughs> close the door. But then before he closes all the way, he's like, hey, don't die, Denji. Out of all the devil hunters I've met up to now, you're the one most suited for the job. And then he leaves. So, Chris, do you remember that chapter a few months ago when we had Denji and Makima's apartment and we were just kind of like the tension was building and building and building and we knew it was going to happen to power when they were going to the door. But it was like, oh, uh, just stretching it out and stretching it out. We get kind of the inverse of that. <laughs> yeah, this I was going to say, you're just like, what's happening here? He's uh, like, uh, Denji, are you trying to... Denji, I know what you're doing. Don't make this any weirder than it has to be. <laughs> I know what you're going to do. Like, we know what the Chainsaw Man does to the devils he eats. So, he looks around his apartment, and he goes into his refrigerator where he's got all of these boxes and these styrofoam containers and stuff, and he starts talking to Makima, who's there, but we can't see her. And he says, Ms. Makima, after everything I've been through, I still love you from the bottom of my heart, but the people who died aren't going to forgive all the stuff you did. That's why I'll bear your sins with you. And he's talking to the food he's cooking as he grills it up on the stove. And he's like, but I was like, how do I do that? Do I blow us up by strapping a bomb to myself? Uh, but physical attacks won't work. And then I thought, well, attacks won't work. And it hit me like, Eureka, I'm a genius. All I got to do is become one with you. And he starts eating. He eats the soup. He's like, oh, I can dig that. He eats ginger fried meat and onions. He's like, mm, yeah, that's pretty good too. So this is how you taste, Miss Makima. <laughs> yes. After what became obvious about five pages before, yes. He's eating her. Slowly. Meal by meal. Mm. There's a lot of meat that's on a human body, you guys. So <laughs> it... <laughs> Yeah. This is and they all lived happily ever after, Chris. <laughs> so it's weird. Like, I know the response that I should feel is like, oh man, this dark thing. But I'm like, I guess I've just I've become used to Chainsaw Man that I almost am like you know, I guess it would have been weird if it was anything else. Like there isn't like there isn't like a moment of like, oh my god, this is so dark, or like, ooh, this is unnerving or anything like that. I'm just like, yeah, this sounds like how it should end. Where <laughs> then she just eats Makima. I mean, imagine like for example, if in Naruto, he you know got to the point where you know pain had just destroyed Konoha, and he went to him, and instead of breaking through to his heart and and forgiving him if instead he had pain locked away and he was like well i know that you've got all your clones so i can't just kill you so what i have to do is make you give up on the chance at life and he just spent the next several months slowly torturing him with a very cold expression on his face 
that will be incredibly out of character for Naruto and completely out of line with the entire series. But because this is Chainsaw Man, this is like, yeah, no, no, this this seems appropriate. This sounds about right. So. Yeah. Um, So there's one chapter left. It seems as though the battle has been won. Um, And I think that the idea is you're not supposed to be completely happy with it because, hey, Denji's been pretty fucked up in the head this whole time, too. There's not a lot of good people in this series. In fact, there might be zero. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you know, it's got it's got its thing. Um, Now, there is obviously there's the big announcement for next week, which has been leaked at this point because people have gotten the magazine. So I, I completely understand if if people want to see the surprise along with that. I totally understand. I know there's some people who are a little upset because they're like, this news was supposed to leak when or come out when the next chapter came out. And unfortunately it's leaked. So I understand if you don't want to know what that is, um, totally understand that. I would say maybe just mute for like a couple moments and then come back. Cause I know there are some people who are going to be very curious oh, about okay. this and, and want, want to talk about. This? Yeah, we might as well. It, it I feel less like i don't feel like this is a spoiler per se yeah this is news that was going to like it has already been kind of expected so i don't really feel that same way of like talking about spoilers Mm -hmm. or something like that obviously the thing that's been expected for a very long time now has been chainsaw man getting an anime it's like yes chainsaw man is going to get an anime the studio that's doing it's been announced everything like that and it's it's going to be the same people who are currently doing Jujutsu Kaisen, mm-hmm. which sounds about right to me. So, yeah, and that's very exciting. But there was always my thought was like, I don't think it's just going to be an anime announcement. I didn't think it was going to be an anime announcement at all based off because I was like, what do, it would be a weird thing to advertise. Hey, we have an anime, but the manga's done. Like you generally just don't do that. Like it's kind of like advertising a dead thing off of something that's alive or vice versa rather. So there's a second announcement. There's going to be a continuation of chainsaw man that, but it's going to be moving to jump plus. Oh, is there? I didn't know. Yes. There's going to be a continuation of chainsaw man. It is moving to jump plus. No one knows what that means though. Mm -hmm. Because obviously right now there's not a ton of characters like, so I don't know what that spinoff looks like at all. And it could be anything. I mean, there it could be like other devil hunters. It yes. seems as though Denji's story is complete with this because, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, I, I mean, you would assume that these characters are kind of done, but we also don't know what the world of Chainsaw Man is going to look like. Obviously, we're waiting until next mm-hmm. chapter to find that out. So, yeah, there's something there. So I will say... If at nothing else, if you're pretty excited to see about Chainsaw Man and you're like, oh, I hope it doesn't end now, there is some version of a continuation of it. So there, there's at least that to look forward to. We don't exactly know the context for what that will be, but there you go. Yeah, um, this might have to do with the way things ended or not ended, but the way things um developed in this way. Mm. Uh, if there was the plan to switch it to a different magazine, 
maybe the thought was, okay, well, I'll get to a, I'll accelerate things a little bit in order to get to a strong ending point. So then it feels like there's a natural divide there to go to the next part. Uh, but it could just be a matter of like, well, I'm done, but I want to keep doing Chainsaw Man, basically. So <laughs> Yeah, and, and there is potentially a freedom. You're moving to Jump Plus, so you do have a little bit maybe more freedom and flexibility in all of that. So I also wonder if this is maybe just uh, the potential being like, uh, hey, Fujimoto, maybe you don't want to enjoy the, the rigors of doing the jump schedule all the time. Mm. You might have more freedom in this magazine to get even wilder. You know, maybe you could just draw full on titties if you want. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know exactly the jump plus uh, motto in comparison to everything else. So who knows? And if it's going to be in a regularly updated series, that means we don't even have to move it at all in the, in the, in the lineup. Because it's already <laughs> right next. To <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, I guess we'll see where that goes. And if that all that is true, then I guess we'll have more chainsaw man even after next week. So hooray. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's move on from there to Magu-chan. Magu-chan. Chris was disappointed in this chapter because we had just gotten to know that Naputaku could be an entertaining character, uh, a strongly entertaining character, and then he was tasked with carrying a chapter all on his own, and I didn't really like it, so I'm kind of disappointed. The premise of this chapter is that Naputsuku has all the kitchen equipment he needs now after the event of the last few chapters. He's got his little stovetop thing, uh, but he doesn't actually have ingredients, so he still can't cook food. So he goes out to the living room and he just yells at Rian's like, Woman, I want to cook! <laughs> He's a she, great negotiator. And again, she's just there fucking leaning back in a chair, fucking staring at the ceiling. Nick... I think Ren's sister is doing heroin. I think she like I in my mind she's just like, hey, tell Ren to clean out the trash before he goes to bed. Like just passing out at that point. I'm, I'm very concerned about his home life at that point because she is she is constantly just like very unaware of her surroundings. She seems to be very good at operating the business, so I don't know, I don't think it's heroin that she's on. I think that just in her in her downtime, she's she just lights up and mm. she's just like, "All right, I got I got my bong and I'm I'm good to go." Naputuku, go but leave me alone, talking starfish man. You would like, assume is... <laughs> if you were high, you'd want to hang out with the talking starfish god more, but <laughs> apparently, I guess that fucks. I don't know. So she tells him, like, if you want ingredients, use the money you make from your job and buy them yourself. And Naputuku is like, bye. Uh, so Rin instructs Ren to take him out shopping uh, and also get her some ice cream. And so they go to the store and Naputuku learns that money can be used in exchange for goods and services. Uh, and there is a very cute moment here where, like, as they're paying, Ren lifts Naputuku up off the ground so he can hand over the money. And I do think that's cute. But then they walk out and he's got, you know, a stock of broccoli. And he's like, this is how you get ingredients. You just give people money. This is what money is good for. I understand now. And Ren's like, all right, awesome. This is great. 
he'll understand the value of the wages we're giving him. And now he'll actually want to work more. And then maybe he'll actually be able to earn enough so that he can live on his own and leave us the hell alone. And Naputo instead turns to him and is like, money, money. And so this doesn't work. And he goes to Rin after they get back and just like, give me more money. So it doesn't. So that doesn't work. She warns him, don't steal from us or I'm going to cut you apart and you and turn you into pot stickers. So he's like, all right, all right. Well, I, I don't want to wait for my next payday. I must ma- amass money as fast as possible. And he like runs out cackling to himself. And uh, he goes to his hermit crab servant and is like, bring me money. And they just like grab everything that they can find there happens uh, I, to be... I, I will note that when naputakun leaves ren's sister says he's really naput now and ren's just like what the fuck does that mean and i the reader was also like yeah what does that fucking mean i don't understand the context um i believe that the idea is that he's being naputaku which is being arrogant likely before a fall to come surely <laughs> i guess so, that grammar doesn't strike super well but it doesn't, i'll go along no, with it. no it would i think it would work better if she had said like well he's well there you go he's gonna go pull in a poo now or something like that I don't yeah know. the hermit crabs gather a bunch of stuff there happens to be a 500 yen coin amongst them and he's like Mom! Look, money is there's all this money. I I don't need to work a job. I'll just find money. Uh, Rue happens to show up with Mago at that moment, and honestly, this was the one laugh that I actually got in the chapter, which is they they're there to try and dig up clams again, and so Mago's got a bucket which he's wearing on his head, and he's like, "This is my domain. Be gone!" <laughs> well, he's got a bucket on his head. <laughs> So Rue is, you know, explains why they're there. And Naputaku is laughing at them for trying to dig up clans. Like, oh, you can just use money to buy food, you fools. And Rue's like, yeah, I know. But I I try to be responsible with money because I rely on my mom for an allowance. So I try to be frugal. You know, I can't I can't get a job. So, you know, I I mean, I wish I could just, you know, win the lottery anyway. And so they they walk off together. Uh, and Naputuku just has taken one thing from this whole conversation, which is lottery. So he happens to, so the next day he goes to a little shopping mart and he gets a lottery ticket. I have no idea how he manages to get up to the sill, but he does. And he buys the lottery ticket and he gets a pretty big prize from it. He gets like a hundred dollars from this, you know, $5 ticket. And he's just like, you can get more money this way. This is great. I can buy anything, but with money, I can actually buy more money. And <laughs> so he just gambles on lottery tickets for like the rest of the day, essentially, until we cut over to the school at the occult club. They're playing a, an occult themed board game, which interesting. Uniris is playing with them and she is cleaning up seemingly. Uh, and Naputaku bursts in. He's been looking for Oneris and is like, let's strike another deal. And he's looking kind of run down and haggard. He's got a few bills left. And uh, Oneris is like, oh, wh- wh- what do you need? And Naputaku is like, I know you why you wanted my wages now. And I want money too. So 
Here, use this money and increase it with your magic powers. And Oneris slaps him across the face and explains how inflation works, essentially. And it's like, this would completely devalue everything. It would throw human society into chaos. And I don't want to do that because I stand humans. So he's like, but I haven't won anything since the first lottery ticket I won. I'm going to be ruined. I have been winning money. And uh, so he's he tries to, like, he, he basically becomes a stereotypical gambling debtor he's like come on guys let me some money and i'll pay you back when i win it big he's just doing that whole thing and so Aneris is like gambling hmm, that sounds like fun all right i'll give you a chance and she grabs the dice from the board game and she's like we'll play chohan which is like this traditional dice guessing game uh in japan and she's given herself the dice rolling outfit which involves like not having a sleeve over the one that you could manipulate the cup with and stuff like that and she's like so the brewer explains the rules which are you guess whether the pips come up odd or even with each roll and naputa goes like oh this is a way better chance than with the lottery so yeah let's do it and he wins on the first roll haha more money 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 uh and then he's like i can get more money with this more money more money and after that uh, Uneris turns to Magu and he's like, oh, you should bet something in play too. And Magu's like, I derive no pleasure by guessing pips on cubes. I prefer the previous game with paper cards where we had to assemble characters. He likes playing poker. They need to play better games. There's better games right. out there, guys. Yeah. You can play ERS and slap each other's hands. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that anyway. game is uh, ranked in like the bottom two thousand games on uh, Board Game Geek. I was like, really? I thought it was a pretty bottom fun game. Thousand. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, everyone starts betting against Naputaku to win after this point, and he starts to get upset. But sure enough, he starts losing roll after roll after roll until he's only got that one coin that the hermit crabs found for him left. And he's like, you're not cheating, are you? And Nunaris like, no, I'm not cheating. I just use everything that was already in the room. I actually use my providence to, to change it into a magic item that would let me cheat. So Nabutiko is really upset. But then he gets an idea. And he's like, all right, for this last one, instead of just betting odd or even, I'll say the exact number of dots in the dice. And we'll raise the stakes from there. How's that? And she's like, all right, all right, I'll take this. So he bets the last coin to his name and uh, he's like, I've got to win. I got to win. I got to win. I got to win. I'm going to bet on snake eyes. So Neris lifts up the cup and there's snake eyes. And Naputika's like, I won. I won. I won. I won. I won. And Neris is like, yes, well done, little crabby. And she lifts up the cup and she shakes it. And a little hermit crab comes out because Naputika hit a hermit crab in the cup. And commanded it to manipulate the dice. He tried to cheat. Zuneris is like, you need to be punished. And for some fucking reason, her holy night guy was waiting outside in a men in black suit. And she puts on a men in black suit too. And they haul Naputaku away in order to force him to work in the mines. And he's gone for days. And when he gets back, he's like, I just want to work my job and earn wages that way. 
And that's the end. I'm told that's a Kaiji reference. Because there were two different references to it this week. The other was in uh, Hard Boiled Cop and Dolphin, which okay. was an equally not great chapter. Um, I actually really liked the first half of this chapter. I thought it was great. I liked, I thought Naputakun was actually kind of holding his own as the main character in this story. I liked kind of like the innocent naivety of the world where he's just like, I can just use buy ingredients. And it's kind of adorable him just being like lifted up so he can give like money across and things like that. Uh, I hate to say it. It's basically in the moment Unera shows up in the chapter. Yeah. And it is where things really start to go south, honestly. And the, the issue I have is we've kind of talked about this. The Putakun is always the butt monkey in all these chapters. And I don't, think he's like a despicable enough character that i always want to see him get his comeuppance in these sorts of chapters in the way he does like this is a chapter where i was just like i don't know i really don't want to see him smack down this hard and just see him unhappy and get beat down over and over again uneris literally smacks him for suggesting that she use her powers to help him so yeah i i i I enjoyed the first half a lot. I thought it was a good showcase of the idea that, like, hey, if we don't have Magu in a chapter, that maybe Naputakun can carry it. Um, the second half of the chapter was just like, I don't know, shit on Naputakun, and I'm just like, I don't know. That part just doesn't interest me as much. We break it down that way. I think I'm more in agreement with you. And I think it was just, it was such a letdown in the second half of the chapter because it was like, well, everyone hates Naputaku, and they don't really believe in him. Mm-hmm. He gets punished for trying to cheat when he's at his wit's end, and he gets desperate. And that's kind of it. It's like he's not really being nefarious in all of this. He gets addicted on gambling, which is a real problem that a lot of people suffer from. And it's understandable because he's this not stupid kid who gets this very promising thing set up for him. And then he is like, Oh, I could just do this. And it leads him down, you know, a path of more and more desperation. And when he is very desperate, no one really actually offers to help him. Yeah. Ours is just like, all right, I'll just take all the rest of your money. It's like, yeah, I mean, you know, Ruru's right there. You'd think that she would find a way to help him out in a way that would, you know, encourage him to be more responsible. And she is trying at a couple of points to be like, it's not good for you to like, it's bad if you gamble money on this. Cause that's like illegal. And also it's going to end badly for you. Like she tries to warn him, but nobody actually stops and is like, and offers Nabutsuku anything. He loses everything. And then at the end, he gets hauled away for hard labor. Like it's, it's, <laughs> yeah, it's kind of too much. It's, it's a kind of dark joke when you really like put it all out there like that. And, you know, I kind of mentioned last week that I was like, the best moment of last chapter was where the Putakun runs out and is like, I will find you an umbrella. And he comes back with this broken piece of chocolate. He's like, I have found an umbrella. And you're kind of like, oh, I get it. He's kind of like this toddler in like a god's body. And like, you, know, you look at but this. Don't cha- give that toddler money. <laughs> yeah. Like, I was like, in this chapter, like the fucking thing kind of comes down of like, fuck this idiot and his stupid thoughts and his addiction to gambling. Like, I don't know. I kind of enjoyed the first half of the chapter. Where he's just like, I can get, I can use money to get more money and like seeing where that would go. And yeah, it just kind of gets mean at the end. I think the problem is that like, it's all building up to one joke. For the most part, like there's a couple of early on jokes, but they're just kind of built on just Naputuku having a kind of shitty personality. 
And then the joke at the end is just not good. So it's like, oh, well, I don't feel as good about the stuff that led to this. So, yeah. All right. Uh, Sakamoto days. Uh, a girl police officer named Nakase gets introduced in this. She doesn't like uh, vigilantes. Uh, she meets Sakamoto and the other one and doesn't like them immediately and is suspicious of them because she thinks that they're the disguised people who stopped the bus, but she doesn't approve of them being all violent in their methods and stuff. They manage to lose her. She tries to stop uh, a guy who is bullying a young girl uh, and some drugs pop out of his uh, he pop out of his sleeve, I guess. And so she spots that. So they kidnap her. Sakamoto and the other guy hear about this. They go to rescue her. And she is very um, defiant when they are trying to intimidate her because she's like telling the other girls that have been kidnapped that she's going to protect them, even though she's tied up to a chair. They blindfold her for reasons. Uh, and then Sakamoto and the other guys show up and they let off some smoke bombs so that they can stop them and they beat them up. And there's this big action sequence where you can't really tell anything that's going on because all of it is too small and it happens too quickly. And then Sakamoto beats up the last guy who tries to approach Nakase. Nakase gets toppled over and her bonds fall off and the belt line falls off and the other guy is like, oh, no, Mr. Sakamoto is not wearing a mask. But she looks up and, oh, the, the fight, the fight that they were in, Chris, it burns so many calories. So he looks just like he did before he retired from being a hitman. And so that means that she doesn't recognize him. So they run off together. And Nikase is like, why does he look so familiar? They go back home. The next day, Sakamoto has immediately ate a bunch of food and has gone back to his portly form. Nikase is really upset about what happened. And she thinks that guy with the glasses seemed familiar somehow. And uh, Sakamoto's wife is uh, really upset because he's all fat again. And that's the end. So, Nick. um, In regards to this series. Okay. This is not the worst series in Jump or anything like that. And I know I've I've spent the last couple weeks making like a big like lift. It's not hard by a cop at all. No, it's it's not. And I legitimately I want to like stress this is not the worst series in jump. Um I think we can both kind of go ahead and say we won't keep this in the recap. Um, but this is not the worst series in jump. This isn't even the most forgettable series in jump. Uh I think there are series like our blood oath. And things like that that are going to be like, oh, yeah, like I'm going to like uh, a while from now, I'm going to be like, oh, right, that's fucking a thing and stuff like that. So it, it's not even like that. I think the best way I could describe Sakamoto Days is it's going to be a series that five years from now, when for some reason we're still annoying this podcast, uh, the Wano arc is almost over. They're about to go on the away mission to World Trigger. They just finished the draft. Um, when all that happens, somebody's going to like, they're going to be talking about random like jump series or whatever. Somebody's going to say, oh, do you remember Sakamoto days? And I'm going to be like, no. And I'm going to be like, well, it was about this assassin who worked at like a grocery store. And I'm going to be like, oh yeah. And that's it. Because that's kind of the last thought I have about this series is just like, that's kind of as far and as interesting as the premise is in the grand scheme of things. There's nothing deeper to it. I don't have actual real levels of hate for this series or anything like that. 
It's just the thing that's there that's not particularly very good. Uh, as for this chapter itself, I don't know. I didn't read it. It looked really boring, so I didn't even bother with it. Uh, and I think that kind of sums up my thoughts on the series as it is as a whole. I know I've made a big to-do over the last, like, three weeks or whatever, trying to be like, this thing's fucking crazy. Understand how much work I put into it to make this series interesting for the recap, because otherwise <laughs> Nick would have just explained the whole thing and we would have moved on to fucking We Never Learned, and that was it. Let's put this to the test in terms of the few years ago uh, thing. Mm -hmm. Chris, do you remember it's called Demon's Plan? Is that the one with the little kid who had like the shonen jump from hell or something like that? No. Okay. Who uh <laughs> was it a comedy? I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it was. Hang on a sec. Let me let me look at a picture of this. I just liked the one that. Uh, no, it's a battle series. Demon. There was a guy who had an arm that looked all brimstone. And he no. had two braids by his ears. Did we read this one? And there is a. I don't. I don't know. Probably. <laughs> Was it this was in Jumpstart? Was so it what it was? It was a Jumpstart. Jump start. Yes. Ah, in on. 2016. No, not at all. Looked up a picture. I have no idea what this is. <laughs> no, yeah, this one absolutely does not ring a bell at all. <laughs> And to know uh, that so there's, there's, there's what, like three episodes of the podcast or whatever where we talked about it, and I'm still just like, no, <laughs> no idea what this is. You could probably link us talking about it right now. We would be like, I guess I read it. Now, <laughs> to be fair, that happens a lot with a lot of things. People bring up things I've said all the time, and I'm just like, a lot of times I feel bad because I laugh at it and I'm like, that's really funny. And I feel like I'm being pretentious, but I've legitimately forgotten that I've said it. And I was like, great joke past me. But this is one. I'm even looking at the panel of it when Weekly Shonen Jump was like published in issues in on the Jump website. I'm looking at that and nothing. I don't. It's got this fucking summon skull like fucking look at box. Nothing. <laughs> I feel like Sakamoto Days will be a, a little bit more memorable than that, but that's that's your it, like bar to clear, I guess. It's so. it's it's and, and here here's what I'll say because I still I read everything that comes out and jump. I'm still going to keep up with Sakamoto Days. It is going to be another series that ends up in the fucking speed bump that is reading Jump every week, where I'm like, oh cool, that was an interesting chapter, and then I'm like. Oh my god, I forgot about all these fucking shitty comedies. Like, you get through a couple chapters, like, alright, I got through all the bad stuff. Now I'm all the way through. And you're like, ah, I forgot about fucking A Gravity Boys. Or, ah, I forgot about High School Family. I have to read that. Ah, I forgot about fucking Sakamoto Days. Let's work that you shit out about, real quick. You forgot about Mori King? I forgot about fucking Mori King. God damn it. Oh, alright, I'll read that one real quick. Like, that's, that's where I'm, like, at right now. Alright. All right, Nick. We put it off long enough, Chris. Let's get, let's get to the, the, the climactic romance chapter. Yes. Yes. Let's Never talk Lord. about it, Nick. Chapter 43, Deadline. So last time 
we saw that uh, Fuko was transported into Billy's story, and she's basically reliving all of his memories, uh, thanks to the manga. Uh, she had these heartwarming moments with him, but now the chapter's over. She's moved to the next part of his story, and in this part, he is Victor now. And Victor ruthlessly is Victor, the evil version of Billy, the one that's kind of stuck in his what? head. Uh, Billy, Nick, from Undead Unluck, he has the card stuck in his head that when it gets pulled out, you get Victor instead. So Victor's there, and he just fucking murders her because he's like, I don't care about you. And she jumps to the forward to the next part of his story, and she's like, where am I now? And he just kills her again. He's like, I'm going to keep this book ends on December 2020, and I'm just going to keep killing you until you get to that point. And it has this great thing where she keeps getting murdered. And she finally wakes up. She's like, oh, my God, what day is it? What day is it? And Andy, sorry, not Billy. Billy's the bad guy. She starts running. She's like, I got to get out of here. I, I can't die now. I have to give something to Andy. And you have this big climactic scene of, of Victor doing this big attack. He spreads his blood out. And it's just like, I'm just going to destroy everything. I just, if I kill you, I get everything I want. So he just destroys the entire city. And he's like, good. Now Unluck is dead. And then we see that he's she, she's not dead. Andy saved her, grabs her, and he, he does a move called, uh, what is it, the 10 twist bullet or something like that? He basically has his arm fucking all twisted up, and then he fucking shoots it out and just blows a hole straight through Victor. Victor has this cool moment where he's just like, you fool, measly bullets can, and then it just shoots straight through him. And Andy's a shit ton stronger because these memories that he's created with Fuko are now actually part of his life and have made him stronger. It is a supremely cool moment and a great part of this arc. So, uh... Kirisu war. No, no, we're we're done. We're done. We're done with that uh, shit, Nick. (laughs) We're done talking about it now. But I've got (laughs) to give my most important measurement for the for the for this level. Kirisu wore very practical winter clothing, which was a sweater and skirt and a jacket zero out of ten we didn't even get to see a good view of her and, and uh you we got macking on each other yeah so uh didn't even get a little bit turned on by this chapter no Not didn't do all. anything for me no bad chapter uh next time have a love confession in i don't know a new a nude uh swimming pool or something like that <laughs> yeah. so <laughs> If you want to know what Chris thought about We Never Learned, follow him on Twitter at RoloT, and he'll give a very simple, straightforward break of why he thinks that this arc of uh, We Never Learn did not work whatsoever. So, <laughs> yeah, legitimately, I don't really want to talk about We Never Learn anymore. I like, I don't know what else we can say that we haven't said is to it this ending point. Next week, do we no. know if it's ending next week? No, there is another chapter set after it so either kirisu's arc will be one chapter longer than the others or the more likely scenario is there'll be some kind of wrap-up chapter or something which is going to be kind of weird because when the final volume comes out that means that kirisu's volume will still be a chapter longer than everyone else's or something like that but there there is something happening do we know if the chapter after that is going to be the final one or just we know that there's going to be another chapter i I i believe we know that there are two chapters left to my knowledge i believe that is the story that we know okay there are two chapters left 
The last chapter would presumably the end of, be the end of Kirisu's arc, and then we don't know what the chapter after that would be if that's the case. All right. So we've got a chapter of Dr. Stone. Time uh, to get Stone, about. Nick! Ziegler 77, Medusa Mechanism, and this is actually quite an eventful chapter. Like, we get introduced to a new character and stuff like that, and there's a bunch of stuff going on that was kind of confusing to me because... I had to keep straight in my head who among Zeno's kingdom is working with Senku's kingdom of science and who is not. Uh, and basically what we learn is that Stanley communicates over to Brody, who is the large scientist uh, that does a lot of the engineering work and who actually made the deal to work with the kingdom of science uh, he hears what they did to the plane's engine, uh, because they're like, there's all this black stuff in the engine. He's like, oh, that's burned sugar. They tossed a bunch in there in order to sabotage it. So he's giving tips to Stanley's group in order to help them do repairs. So there you go. Um, all this is kind of important, but mostly just because Senku's group can overhear all these transmissions which they're not even bothering to encode so they know all that there's the note of like well we can't really take advantage of that but it's like no no we actually do some remote work of our uh, of our own here so uh he communicates to the ceasefire zone team about a mission that they have uh because he says by the time we reach ground zero where the first pulse of the petrification beam went off they have to take apart the Medusa and analyze the mechanism. And we cut over to that group. We see that Homura uh, swims down into the river at, in the area where Stanley shot the device off of the bow of Senku's ship. And she goes to, to recover that. That's all done. Uh, and Nikki has it. And she explains to Brody uh, what they're planning to do. She just kind of has to come up with a story while thinking to herself, like, I mean, this is good enough reason. You didn't actually like give us a reason. So I'm just going to like say something that I think sounds reasonable, which is we're going to want to help sick and injured people. And the easiest way to do that is using the petrification beam and then waking them up from it, which is a very efficient way of doing it. If they have the supplies necessary to do that. Hmm. Um, and uh, at that moment, well, after she gives that explanation and she and Brody are both kind of like knowing that the other is not really trusting the other. Ryu Sui is like, I forgot that Nikki doesn't know what we're planning on doing right now. <laughs> so we cover to Nikki's group. They're looking over the things and Brody's like, hey, I'll let you look over at stuff, but I'm going to be watching anything that you do. Fair enough. So uh, Magma's like, so we need to break this thing apart. And he just takes an axe and he's just going to smash it. And of course, Nikki beats him up. He's like, no, we actually have to take it apart so that we know what each part of the device does. This is going to be delicate work. So they're trying to figure out, OK, what who will be able to do this? And. Uh, Misami. Reporter lady says, uh, okay, well, <laughs> Minami? 
She says, okay, well, there's all these American high-grade watchmakers and jewelry crafters and stuff like that. And they're like, oh, that's it. And she's like, well, yeah, but I don't know where to find any of them. And we get the best part of the chapter, which is Rusty being like, oh, yeah, classy watchmakers. Yeah, yeah I mean, Rodex HQ is near the airport. Everyone knows that. And I was like, no, no one knows that. And he's like, oh, I mean, come on. You know, when it comes to watches, who wouldn't desire every last one? It's only you who does that. So he's able to tell them where the watch, the Rolex HQ basically is. And he's like, yeah, I mean, I could give directions, but it's going to be kind of difficult to do that. Chelsea whips up a topographic map at that moment and they're like, oh, great. Well, but it's going to be impossible for us to actually get this map to everyone. And so he's like, no, we're going to send a fax. And his method of sending a fax is to divide the map up into grids and to freaking use Morse code to translate the grids into freaking lines and Gen is tasked with doing this. And for whatever reason, we get a full two-page spread of what the map looks like. It is entirely unnecessary that we have this detail in all of its glory. But I feel like Boichi was just like, I had to draw this. Appreciate my work. It's very boring to look at. Appreciate it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the manga dude uh, who is with Nikki's group is like, Osamu Tezuka once did something similar in order to draw manga remotely while abroad. Sure. That is true. That's really cool. <laughs> so, so they draw it out and poor freaking uh, poor Yuzuri has the one, of course, who, who was tasked with actually drawing it out with her, you know, delicate abilities and stuff like that. Uh, they go out somewhere following the map. They find the CEO of Rolex place or whatever. And he's like, oh, yes, my star employee. You can find him over there. Rolex. And they, they can't call it Rolex legally. So it's like it's Rolex. It's Rolex. Schmolex. Rolex. So uh, Rolex. the guy wakes up and he's... A- <laughs> He's immediately like, where are my clothes? Uh, and he's all embarrassed and stuff. Uh, they get him dressed up and everything. And uh, they're like, oh, OK, uh, are you are you ready for the job? And Brody starts talking to him. And the guy's just like, how dare you speak to me that way? I have a name. It's Joel. Is that too hard for you to remember? And Yuzurito comes over and is like, here's the device. And he's like. And so we are introduced to this guy's personality, which is he is phenomenally arrogant and talks down to people. But he has no idea how to talk to women. So he gets very shy. Around. So two very extreme personalities built based around the gender of the person he's talking to. Easy enough personality to, to understand. Um, so he gets the assignment and he's like, oh, yes, I shall. I shall. I shall get this job done. It'll be so easy for me to, to work on it. And uh, he starts examining it and he's immediately like, this is science beyond the 21st century and he immediately gets caught up and he's like okay i'm gonna focus on this you can observe but i'll kill you if you enter if you talk while i'm doing this and he starts filling with it he gets a pair of tweezers and he's you know taking little bits of it out and stuff like that uh and he's like there are so many really complex components of this it's almost as if these were made by a 3d printer uh, and he's like, this circuitry, it seems to be like glass or a mineral or something like that. Uh, but even though I don't know what any of these parts do, it's just like a watch. Every piece has a very clear function to it. And he takes out what looks to be a little crystal 
and so I can hear. And the information that he has discovered gets communicated over to Senku's group, which is the core of the device that everything connects to is a diamond, which seems to have been degraded uh, from use. So he's like, but if it is like a battery, then if I take it out and reinstall it, that might just make like a spark because, you know, it's like how if you take some ba- the batteries out and you like spin them around, sometimes that gets the juice flowing a little bit, basically. And for what fucking reason, the guy says while looking at the device, one meter, one second, because I guess he's just like, I'm going to look down the barrel of this gun and see if it'll fire. And he does that and it works and the device goes off and petrifies him. And that's the end of the chapter. It's a weird way to end the chapter, but it ends that way. Yeah, I was very confused about the end. There was a part of me, it's like, is he saying it? Is it supposed to be a built-in trap inside of the Medusa that if someone tries to, like, take it apart, it immediately, like, activates or something like that? I, I really... He appears to say it. He does appear to say it, but I'm just like, I don't understand why he would say it. Or, and if it's supposed to be dramatic, then it's weird because we know that they could just pour the fluid on him to do it but like Mm -hmm. did anyone specifically tell him that's what this device does or how it operates because it doesn't feel like it does appear that he's communicating directly with senku at the end of the chapter because he's saying because you know senku's asking a question and the guy's like you know still talking about stuff so i don't know it seems like these two things are happening simultaneously when they're talking about like oh you know if you take a battery out of a a razor and plug it back in then sometimes it'll come to life for a little second so i don't know it's it is odd yeah i don't think it's supposed to be happening exactly because senku's riding a motorcycle at the end of the chapter he couldn't ride a motorcycle with like the big fucking telegraph thing on it could he yeah and it's at night when he's communicating on the phone prior to that I just, I, it's very odd to me that, like, it feels like, I, in my mind, I'm like, they didn't tell him enough to know how it works. So it, it, it the most likely scenario is he's just the one doing it because he knows he could be revived. But I'm like, I didn't think that he knew how it worked. And I don't know enough about the character to be like, why would he activate it in front of himself, basically? Like, I feel like the big core of the revelation here is like, oh, this thing's intricate. It seems almost futuristic. And it seems to run on some kind of diamond or something along those lines. And at the end, he's like, but I can activate it too. And I'm like, that's just kind of an odd way to end the chapter. What do you think of Joel? He's there. I don't, he's there. I don't, I don't expect this to be a character that's going to be of any real significance going forward. Unfortunately, it's not like Dr. Chelsea where I'm like, this is a bad character and I don't want her around. I think she is just going to stick around. But Joel, I see easily being, about on the same level of relevance as uh, the manga artist guy or reporter mm. girl, where they'll have their moment there, here and there. But like, what what does he really offer to the group? He knows how to take apart very small machines. No, mm-hmm. and he's over where like Corn the- City's team is. So it's like, what can you even do with him? True, true, true. What do you think of the CEO guy who shows up for one panel? <laughs> <laughs> oh, Mr. Rodex? Yeah, I don't. I'm, I'm very yeah. excited for them. I hope they show up everywhere. All right. All right. Let's talk about Joel. Mashal Neck. Mashal Chapter 42. Mash Burn Dead and the Desert. Desert Visionary. Sorry, the text is very small. I don't have my glasses on. Uh, so Harry Potter, not Harry Potter. 
uh, says, what are you, a child? You think throwing a fit will work? And Mash is just like, no, I don't want to go. And then immediately, Harry Potter guy teleports behind and basically seems to turn into sand itself, appear behind Mash, and there's like a his wand pointed, and there's like a drill that is about to just drill into Mash, but before it can, something seems to hold it in place. And we see Ryo is there saying, hmm, you say it's unanimous, but you haven't heard my take yet. Care to listen? So, oh gosh, I actually need to remember this character's name. Orm? Or something like that? Mashal character list. (laughs) Oh, that's not going to be difficult to look through. Uh... I don't. I just don't know if it's been updated or not. Uh, no, it has not been updated with it. So I'll call him not Harry Potter for right now. But I know we did learn his name last week. Last chapter, yes. Yeah. Uh, before anything else can really happen, a sword slams into the scene, and uh, hey, Nick, it's uh, it's Rain. He's here now too, and he has yes. uh, come with uh, Master Wolberg as well. And he Wahlberg's just like, might I ask you to, might I ask you to defer his sentencing vision Aries? Aries. Vision Aries. So decide, I thought we decided we weren't doing that. Oh, right. Well, there we go. Now we know that as well. Uh, he's just like, Innocent Zero sending a messenger like this is a first. There is a high chance that this boy will give us a lead on him, so we cannot lose him at this juncture. And I like that Mash is like, uh, is the headmaster someone important? And it's almost as though asking the question itself would kind of answer it to some degree. But this is basically an opportunity to give some exposition about Wahlberg's history in the world. They're like, yes, he was once a divine visionary himself. They say that in his time, he was the only one to stand a chance against Innocent Zero. He is a living legend. Why I'm, and this is Rio telling this, so he says, why I'm soon to become the top magic user in the world, and he's even earned my respect. He's a man among magic users. When he talks. I love the ways I. He, he's just like, oh yeah, he's so great. Even I like him, and I'm amazing. Yeah. <laughs> and he just says, when he talks, you listen. Mash says, K. Uh, so, uh, Shmeri Blotter is just like, look. Ortel Model. Orc, was it? Orter. Orter. Orter, that's right. It was kind of a little bit like Potter. That's why I was getting it. Order says, I understand your position, Mr. Wahlberg, but I don't accept it. Regulations mandate this treatment. They're not open to individual uh, interpretation. The laws must be kept. Lack People who lack magic must be purged. It's just the way it is. And then he gets interrupted as Wahlberg very, I guess, like dramatically takes off his hat and begins to bow. And one of the other uh, Divine Visionaries is like, no, you don't need to bow to us. Uh, and they're like, and Wahlberg just says, you know, look, he cannot use magic. He is rough around the edges, and he is no scholar. But he has an unusual gift, the power to sway hearts. Our worldviews need to change, and I believe it'll take someone like him to do it. And that is not all I hope for. Until now, those without magic have been treated as inferior species, but I take issue with that understanding. It just doesn't seem to me. It just does. It does not seem just to me. Our values change alongside history. Redefining those values takes courage because we must admit our injustices. Very good. And he says, that said, what is wrong is still wrong. So orders just like, look, I respect your position, but no one gets to. And then rain drops to one knee and says, I'm asking as well. 
you know, I agree. While I agree with the headmaster, Mash has proven himself worthy of our trust, in my opinion. The other members of the Vine Visionaries are like, look, this doesn't, this just isn't how it works. You know, you've stated your place very well. You said your piece. It was very elegant, but he needs to be killed. Order's just like, look, there isn't anything to discuss. The law is the law. We execute people who lack magic. You're putting emotion before rational thought. And then Bless Minister walks up and says, look, I feel similar to you. The lack magics need to be called. Our power is a special blessing for the divine. But... And this, you know, basically gives like a whole spiel of like they did not meet our div- standards for divinity, you know, but one of those saved my life. And I know I should act according to the rules if I be remiss in my duty, so be it. But this case was mine to process and I request deferment on his behalf. So that seems to give everyone sway because he actually was basically the judge hearing the session. So orders like, all right, fine. Only on these conditions will we allow it. He must act under our direct observation as a tool against innocent zero and he must prove himself strong enough meaning at minimum he has to become this year's divine visionary candidate so places a big onus on him there should he fail he faces extermination there's your referment mash is like okay i got it and he's like "Eh, but if i want to embody the headmaster's wishes and live in peace with everybody that alone won't be enough and he punches the ground and the whole whole room goes shaking and he says so i'm gonna give innocent euro a beating <laughs> it's it's the only joke in the chapter and it makes me laugh more because he was specifically told like two minutes ago, like pay attention to this conversation and he clearly didn't pay attention enough to hear them say zero several times zero sounds like euro what a year oh fuck i haven't had a year in forever yeah. um we cut to at the end of the chapter the floating the floating sky castle where mr war is hanging out and it looks like he stands up from his his podium so very ominous i wonder if the implication is that mash punching the ground here is causing that to shake Maybe because we do get the voice box in the because he ends his whole thing like I'm going to give innocent Euro a beating with my fist. It carries on into the next like page where as our audience viewpoint, it's just that castle floating in space or whatever. So it is possible innocent zero is spying in on this mission in some way. And maybe the physical impact is being transferred over that. That absolutely is possible. It's tough to say because we know almost nothing about Mr. War at this point. Yeah. And this is not the uh, same building. I wondered if it was like somehow in the same castle, but it's not. But I don't know. All right. Okay. Uh, yeah. It, intense chapter. Uh, it was nice to have the very straightforward MASH has to become a divine visionary. Not mm-hmm. like it'd be nice because then he can change the world and live in peace. But like, no, he has to do it or he's going to die. So raise the stakes a bit. Yeah. For the thing he was already planning to do. So I do. I do like it. I think my favorite moments of mash are when there's really good jokes. And unfortunately, there's not a great one in this. There's the innocent Euro comment, but that's not like the thing that's going to make me shit my pants laughing, but it does actually provide some kind of narrative context for the series going forward. So it's kind of important to get these chapters every now and then. 
lay things out. Yep. Nice and straightforward. All right, let's move on to Ayakashi Triangle, Chapter 24, The Ayakashi's Lost Property. We get a cover page at the start, and it's Suzu with one of her Omokage clones, and they're enjoying an ice cream together in a way that is not at all suggestive. Nope. We start things off with Matsuri going into Ninokuru's classroom to talk to him. He's like, hey, hey, can I talk to you before you go home? And everyone's like, oh, who's that girl? Uh, she's talking to Nino Kuru. Wait, is that his girlfriend? And Nino Kuru like drags Matsuri. I was like, don't come to my class. And I thought you turned back into a guy. Matsuri <laughs> uh, 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 establishes that Suzu has to do review work because she didn't do well on the last test. They've been having a lot of stuff going on. We actually get established uh, that Matsuri has pretty decent grades. The, uh, but both Suzu and Lou do not. And apparently Yayo is actually quite smart. So, all right. It's the disciplined, mustachy, muscular uh, teacher who is do- conducting the supplemental lesson because there's like only one teacher in this series so far, basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, Suzu is approached by a small Ayakashi, who, of course, the humans in the room can't see. And he's like, oh, please, you've got to help me. And Suzu's like, I'm busy. Please wait until I'm done. But Shiragane is there and is like, this is very important. You've got to help him. This is a situation that's life or death. So Suzu's like, okay, but I can't excuse myself. All right. So she uses the Omokage technique and sends the Omokage off. Uh, to actually help out in the business. And she can actually like remotely pilot it basically by concentrating uh, while she's sitting there. Uh, So she's kind of basically zoning out on the lesson in order to take care of this business. And the small Ayakashi establishes that he has lost a set of Azuki beans, which she is like, well, what's okay. Well, so someone took the box uh, and she's like, talking about it kind of non-seriously like oh i love desserts with azuki and the guys and shiragane explains look this this is azube he is the azuki bean counter an ayakashi that scares people by making noises with the azuki beans and suzu's like why does he do that oh no reason he's just an ayakashi who does that he's a japanese spirit sometimes they just do things that's yeah so but the problem is that without the azuki beans he can't count azukis he's going to disappear so that's why suzu's got to find them that's the big thing. While this is going on, Matsuri and Nino Kuru go off to talk together and uh, they talk a little bit about Suzu and what she's doing as the Aikashi King and all that stuff. Uh, basically, Matsuri brings him up to date on all the stuff that happened after they parted ways during the big battle. And uh, Nino Kuru is like, All right, so uh, that's all done. Is all you want to talk about? And Matsuri is like, Hey, Nino Kuru, I know how you feel but I'm in love with Suzu too, which guys talking about their feelings. This is the least realistic manga ever. <laughs> I know. I had constantly just shouted out gay. The moment I heard this, yeah. I was like, Oh, look at all these gays. <laughs> Suzu tries to go and find the Azuki beans. Yayo spots her and it's established. Well, because the Omokage takes the shape of a human, normal humans can see them, which I'm not sure how Suzu Zomokage was able to leave the classroom if the humans in it. Never mind. So, <laughs> yeah, I was like, I thought that a thing was invisible, and that's why she was able to leave class. Because otherwise, 
Wouldn't you have just seen two fucking Suzus and one of them leaves class and everyone would be like, what the fuck's going on? I guess not. <laughs> Maybe it didn't take shape until after it was out of the classroom. Anyway, Yayo has spotted that Suzu. Uh, Nino Kuru kind of like gets a little bit forlorn while he's trying to put on a you know a tough act. Like, okay, there's no need to apologize. I've, I've been thinking that you're the one who is more suited to be with her. So don't mind me. You may court Suzu Kanade. Don't worry about me. And Matsuri's like, well, but I'm a girl right now. And also, I don't know if Suzu thinks of me that way. And, you know, like, I didn't have any friends before I turned in it this way. And I'm not good at talking with people. And I'm not confident that she likes me back. And she's all, she's kind to everyone. And she's so great. And maybe she's just being nice to me because she's nice to everyone. And Inuku is like, what the fuck is wrong with this guy? She's all over him. She wants him so bad. That idiot. So... But while Matsuri is being all, like, clueless, Ninokuru is looking at him, and he looks like a hot girl being all clueless. And he's like, no, no, why is my heart beating hard? But Matsuri is, like, trying to get a hold of himself and not, you know, (laughs) what's up, Chris? Lost people in the chat just saying, and it turns out Ninokuru is into bimbification because he's only like, oh, she's totally brainless. She's only attracted to me, (laughs) but she's dumb. You know what? Sometimes I'm like, you all stop being purrs. But in this case, no, you're right. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> so that's, that's kind of exactly the point of this scene, I think. But Nokuru does do something very nice, which is he's like, come on, don't be such a kid. If you're not confident, then improve yourself. Your physical body doesn't matter. Aim to be the one most suitable for Suzu Kanade. That's what Matsuri Kazumaki, the man I acknowledge as my rival. That's what he would do. And Matsuri's like, oh, Nino Crew, you're so cool. And she like, he like, I don't know, pats him on the shoulder or something like that. And Nino Crew's like, don't touch me. And don't call me cool. <laughs> I usually say that as well. People are like, you're so cool, Chris. I'm like, don't call me cool. And then I slap their insults away like I'm a sumo wrestler. I'm like, no, get away. <laughs> At that moment, Ponosuke, Nino Crew's helper Ayakashi guy flies by and he's got the box of Azuki beans. And they're like, what are you doing here? And Bonosuke's like, oh, it's not what you think. I'm definitely not picking up and eating these azuki beans that were on the ground. It's like, you <laughs> How dare you? That's the only way the azuki bean counter is going to be able to exist. I mean, like, even if you don't know that, like, it's not a very big crime. But when you put it that way, it's like, fuck you. <laughs> I remember... Uh, when I worked at the state, there was like a day, it was like some birthday thing or something like that. And there was like a big cake and it was open. Everybody could just grab it. Like it was one of those things like in the middle of the office. And I remember I was like cutting a slice and like one of my coworkers came into the room and I gave him a, like a glare as though I wasn't supposed to be eating it. And I don't know. And he, he pointed out, he's like, why do you look like you're not allowed to eat that or something like that? And it would just be like, <gasps> <laughs> you're just like why are you you made this look way more suspicious than it is it's like if you're turning in a test at school but you just kind of like stare at the teacher as you do it and they're like did you cheer in that no I'm just turning it in it's a little bit just, <laughs> just, just turn it in nor- normally okay <laughs> ah, you, just start, no. you just start screaming spontaneously <laughs> You throw it at them and leave. <laughs> um, Ninokuru uh, and Matsuri have spooked Ponosuke, who drops the box of Azuki beans. Oh no. 
they both start to slip on them. Ninokuru reacts to this by going, An exorcist ninja cannot fall for this obvious gag! While falling through the obvious gag, Suzu is able to kind of follow her nose to where the Yuzuki beans are because she is able to sense a presence similar to Azube's because of the beans that are associated with him. A bean kind of plops around a corner and Azube's like, oh, one of my Yuzuki beans, hooray! And Shirogane noted, realizes, oh, you know, he, she just recognized the small amount of energy that was infused in the bean. She's only just mastered the use of Omokage. Her perceptive abilities have increased She's only just opened up the tap to her power, but at this rate, could it be possible? Could this slight trickle turn into a great waterfall? And he starts to feel more optimistic that she might actually be able to restore his lost powers, that she's got this potential. But they're like, oh, we've only just found one bean, which means it must be nearby. And they go around the corner, and oh no, Matsuri and Neokuro have fallen over in a very compromising position, and he is... On top of Ninokuru, and like his skirt is flipped up, and his boobs are right in Ninokuru's face, and Ninokuru is looking all embarrassed. And obviously, it's like, oh no, what to love you? My hand fell down into your shirt situation. But I will say, I do really like Suzu's reaction, which is she's so shocked and outraged at this that it makes her omokage dissolve and she wakes up in the class going what are you doing and that's basically where we end the chapter uh, while ninokuru is trying to go like no no i don't have a boner he's a guy he's a guy i don't have a boner so. <laughs> i will say the best part of the chapter is the little bean counter monster so happy and that little dude's so cute i hope that guy has nothing but happiness for the rest of his life he got his peanuts back. Sorry, he his fucking did. By the way, that's something else I didn't bring up about fucking Sakamoto days. Everyone first was like, oh, Chris is going to love this series. Bad old man getting his peanuts. He's fucking 27 years old. He's not an old goddamn man. Because <laughs> <laughs> he's got a little mustache. Yeah. This is actually, I mean, the fan service in Ayakashi Triangle has kind of like come and gone in waves, it seems like. But in this case, it's like, it led to a moment that I did think was pretty funny. And I do like Nina crew trying to convince himself. He's not definitely by, um, and, uh, it was, it's nice to have the very serious discussions that actually occurred in this chapter. I really like that Nina crew is such a nice bro that he was encouraging Matsuri to like have more faith in himself, uh, because he respects him in that way. And also, Hey, all the stuff about Suzu's potential and stuff like that was cool too. Yeah. I, I like this chapter a lot. I feel like we got a good amount out of it. Um, the fan service parts are kind of dopey, but I mean, it, that's what the series is. So I guess, you know, yeah. I just kind of will learn to accept it, I guess. I don't know. It was fun. All right, Nick. Yeah. Let's close things let's, out because there's no one piece this week. Let's wrap so. it up. Black Clover, page 274. The battle begins. So Nature Boy Ric Flair shows up through a big shadow door, and he's like, all right, everyone's here. Let's get going. Fuego Leon's like, hey, where's Asta? And Nature Boy Ric Flair's like, look, it's going to take him longer. Uh, everyone's Jack like, the Ripper. Yeah, a bunch of people. Yeah, Jack the Ripper fucking is like, ha, huh? nobody was kind of him. And then Sally 
Rade's and third person who I'm forgetting are also there. And they're like, I guess that's okay. By the way, I made these magic coats. They'll basically hide us. They're essentially bagworms. Then a character I don't know is there, and he's like, Sally's a little odd, but when it comes to the magic research, she's second to none. Rest easy, sir. And I thought this was going to be another moment where I was going to be like, who the fuck is Lotus? But I actually found out I am not supposed to know this character. This character is a boy band member who Tabata has drawn into the series because he's going to be in the anime and he added him to the manga as well. That is correct. He is a boy band member. <laughs> he's like a member of Snow or some shit like that. I, 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 I know the name Snow is in there, but that's who this character is. <laughs> so in case you were like me and you were like, who the fuck is this dude? <laughs> There you go. Remember that time One Piece had like a cover where like a boy band was with them on the front? <laughs> but then Oda didn't make them canon characters in the universe who <laughs> explained things to you. <laughs> you see, Chris. Yep. Maybe we would have seen Max's introduction coming. If we had read the very important tie-in novel that established that he had a very strong rapport with these three characters and there were adventures that they went on that were very in-depth and revealed a lot about their characters and their relationships. Maybe, maybe if we had just read that instead of the manga that all this stuff is supposed to have the story in. His band did one of the openings for Black Clover. <laughs> Good for him! <laughs> I was already mad enough about this chapter. I don't need you to tell me this. <laughs> so, Seke asks the same questions we do, which is like, why the fuck am I here? And uh, the reason is because he was the one who saved the king. So the king was like, go and display your latent power for me. So he's apparently gotten to enjoy the last six months just kind of living like a king because the king is, you know, he's in the king's favor. But the king also was like, you must be very powerful. You belong on our strike force. And he's like, no, I don't. Um, so we see Nature Boy Rick Flair is just like, you know, we... we we know that you don't have much in the way of skills. So sac yourself, sacrifice yourself for the sake of the people who are right. <laughs> and I kind of like, I guess because now we know that he's not as big of a dick as he sounds like. I do this like the idea. He's just like, please die. So the more important characters can go on. Um, there's a question we'll ask to make it in time. Everyone's like, I don't know. You know, I was like, I'm going to end it before he even gets there. Uh, Jack the Ripper's like, no, I'm gonna end it. Nozelle's like, it won't be either of you. It will be us. As they all enter Nature Boy Rick Flair's shadow corridor to go basically just teleport straight into it. We're in the lab. Uh, a bunch of people are like, oh, they've shown themselves the resistance. And the resistance is a bunch of characters. I don't believe we're supposed to know any of them. Uh, and then, boom, the characters all, like, travel through the portal and are inside the black, the dark triad castle thing. And they're like, yes, now everyone follow your plan. Do everything. Um, and we find out Nature Boy Ric Flair has been unified. <sighs> has been unified. You all right? 
No, go on. Go okay. On. He's that nature. <laughs> uh, nature boy Ric Flair uh, was in like a, talks with the resistance, so he he organized it all. So these things were meant to happen in tandem. This is the perfect timing. But Dante, or not Dante, Zeno is like release the Kraken thing, whatever. And the big demon shoots up out of the guy. He's like. Bleh, bleh. <laughs> <laughs> and they're like, "Oh no, he's gonna kill everybody!" And you know, I want to see like the manga drawn based off of your description of what happens, as opposed to what actually happens. It's like this poorly drawn scribble of like a, a tentacled beast just going. <laughs> <laughs> uh so Zeno's like, "Yes, who? This thing will kill all the people." We, we're going to use the demon to kill all the people in town anyway, because they're not real citizens. Uh, real citizens of the Spade Kingdom are the strong. Let the ritual and the advent of Quillpoth begin. And uh, Fuego Leon's like, oh no, all those people are going to be killed. Nature Boy Clarifier says, they're fine. And the demon gets punched in the face. And who should be there, Nick? But Mario Leona, Clover Kingdom Royal. Oh man, it's it's your favorite character in mine, Chris Mario Leona. Yeah, hot character. dog. Yeah, woo, just gonna punch it. You know what we need? The fourth strongest fire character in the series. I guess technically she's the second strongest, but in terms of actual plot relevance, she feels like the fourth. <laughs> Nick, how'd you feel about this chapter? I don't care about anyone in this chapter at all. <laughs> Nobody? Not even Seke? Go back to Asta training with the devil, please. Please. I got to know who they were and cared about them succeeding. That's the way MAG is supposed to work, Chris. You're supposed to actually care about things that things happen to. Why do I have to care about this rebellion of all nameless characters? None of them have a personality. They're just like, we don't want to be ruled by you. And then a monster shows up to kill them. And it's like, don't worry, nameless characters. I'll save you. And it's Mario Leona, who I also don't care about. Hooray! Uh, is this what's gonna happen chris is is the next chapter going to end with mario liana fighting a literally personalityless monster and that's going to be the chapter and black clover which had been on a roll it had completely turned both of us around we were into the build we were into every single development Basically, that was happening. Characters were more interesting. We had these different rivalries set up. We had a training arc that we actually got invested in. It wasn't perfect, but we actually cared about, you know, what was happening. And now we're going to end the year on this. Is this what's going to happen? Is this the sign that it's all going to go for nothing again? Am I just going to hate this series again all, all next year? Is that what's going to happen? Uh, yes and no. Uh, so I agree with you, uh, but I will concede this. I understand Mary Leona is a very popular character. We clearly do not have any affection for her whatsoever. So this revelation at the end, Mary Leona is here, means nothing to us. But I do recognize she is very popular to the Black Clover audience, and it is true we actually have not seen her in the manga in a very long time. I think the last time she was relevant was like when all the people started turning 
back in like the elf arc when all the people started transforming. Yeah, she she had the big stand against multiple elves and took a bunch of them down. And then she was just kind of out from that point on. She exhausted herself doing it. Yeah. So I understand it's a very exciting thing for for those people. Um, I agree with you, though. If you don't care, then yes, you're about to watch a character you don't care about fighting giant personality-less hulking uh, torso in space, basically. And that's pretty much it. Uh, we didn't know the rebellion existed because that dude showed up to talk to Yuno to tell him he was a Spade Kingdom prince. Uh, but I don't know that character's name and none of these characters are relevant. So, yeah, I, I agree with you on a lot of it. I I think, though, there are characters in this group who I am interested in seeing. There's Fuego Leon, who I really thought once he came back into the story, we would just get rid of Mario Leona because he's just a like strictly better version of Mario Leona in like every way, basically. Um, I care about, you know... I did kind of like that Nozell was the one to unite everybody. It's sort of a weird moment he pipes in, but I do like the moment of like, no, together we will go through. Um, so, you know. I established that I've evolved as a person by interrupting the conversation to make sure I get a word. <laughs> yeah, to be, so I get the final word and look cool. Uh, so I, I, I do like that there's a couple characters in here that are going to be interesting fall but there's a lot of them that aren't we just have to accept the fact that will's gonna have something he's gonna do and dorothy earnsworth is gonna do something and who knows maybe the fucking boy band dude will do something as well because he's a canon character in the black clover universe now. <laughs> and sally and the group are there as well <laughs> so you know all that's something to keep track of i guess the interesting the only interesting well, not really interesting, but it's kind of a nice character detail that Sally is the one who made the outfits and hers is too big for her. <laughs> like she made them. So that was on purpose. She's like, I made one size, the one that doesn't fit me. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, I guess I'm pulling for, you know, to be the source of my interest in what's going to happen look so a year ago I, I a year ago i would have said this sure is I, about this. I would have said this is a hellscape like doomsday scenario but i actually do care about you know now so uh, there are a couple things i'm interested in seeing but yeah i do agree with you Asta's the more intriguing character right now but he has to do his training arc so i don't know how often we're going to cut back to him Probably not for too long, because my memory of Black Clover seems to indicate I don't think more than six chapters can go by without Yuna, like, Asta showing back up in some way. Like, he has to insert okay, something. I've got anti-magic, we win. <laughs> <laughs> I used anti-magic to brace the space-time continuum so I could be here and in my training arc at the same time. Like, yeah. That's right, the space-time continuum works off of magic. <laughs> <laughs> I'm dumb enough that it is basically magic to me, and my sword cuts it then. Well, shit, you know, I can't argue like with that. Like the Schrodinger's cat principle. So it's like, you know, uh, he is both in training and at the scene of the battle until it's observed by a human. Mm. But because Ast is so stupid, he doesn't count as observing it. So he can be in both places at once. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. All right. That's going to do it. All right. 
Uh, that is it for Weekly Manga Recap, everyone. What were our favorites this week, though? And that doesn't just count for you and me, Chris. That counts for everyone that uh, took part part in the uh, poll that was conducted for this week. Uh, my favorite character this week was... Or no, my so my, my, my favorite series this week was Kaiju Number 8. I think Kaiju Number 8 was a really exciting series uh, chapter this week. And as I said, that moment where you just see all the radio... Con, like call reactions is just great uh, and I think in that way my character of the week is going to be Hoshino because it was just a cool moment when you see like ah shit he's in the fucking alleyway with Hoshino this isn't going to go great <sighs> I don't like to double dip when we do favorite chapter and uh, MVP but I'm kind of inclined to agree with you because Kaiju number eight was just such a good chapter this week. It was, we did have a couple of good ones. Like mm-hmm. I did like my hero academia. I liked Ayakashi triangle. Uh, and I liked world trigger, but world trigger. It was like, I liked it just because it was world trigger basically. Yeah. And Ayakashi triangle. I didn't like it as much as I liked the stuff that involved the genio and stuff like that. It was more like, Oh, this is, this is nice character stuff. And I did like Nino Kuru in this chapter, but I didn't like him as much as Hoshina. Yeah. And it's it's just a straightforward, intense uh hero is pressed into a corner action scene, but it's done so well. And I it, it almost feels like because I mentioned uh when we were going through it, like if it ended at the point where Hoshina shows up, you could end the chapter there. Yeah. There are also like three other points in this in this in the chapter where you could just end it there. The part where he lunges towards uh, Kafka, the part where Kafka goes, "This is what Hoshina's like when he's killing Kaiju." There's like th- four p- different parts of the chapter where it's like, if you end it there, it'd be amazing, and it's just that good all the way through. So I think that's got to be the chapter, and I think it's got to be Hoshina. So. Yeah. Yeah, it's a great series. Uh, Kaiju Number Eight has been really killing it. It's done ridiculous in sales as well recently. I think it it even cool. beat what uh, Spy Family did in terms of volume sales. So mm, it's very, 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 very impressive. So a bright future ahead. The audience, by the way, uh, basically did the Chainsaw Man double double header. Uh, Chainsaw Man and Denji as their character of the week, and uh, I can get that. Chris, I'm worried about our audience. <laughs> <laughs> It was so great how he ate that woman slowly. <laughs> I, I can understand Chainsaw Man because I think for a lot of people it is still surprising. Denji, I do think it. you can appreciate that he was clever enough to use the Aki trick of hiding amongst the uh, uh, the corpses. People have pointed out you actually can see in an earlier chapter him amongst hmm. the uh, the like dressed up goons walking in the crowd. So there's definitely a lot to appreciate there. We also have, and we know this, from just past experience, a big vor audience, Nick. We they they love to watch people get eaten by other people. So you know that was obviously just going to play a factor as well. It's mostly the Germans, Nick. There's actually the Venn diagram of Germans and vor fetishists is like just a complete circle with no overlap. So you know I don't want any insight on if this is true or not because the confirmation would break my heart. So you'd have you'd have to go to the Not Safe for Work channel on our Discord, Nick. <sighs> Okay, so <laughs> speaking of the Discord channel, if you wanted for to, to share vor porn, I get. I don't know. Look, don't let me don't let me know what kind of stuff you share. Like, you, d- knock yourselves out. Don't hurt anyone, but like, do what you want. But don't 
don't tell me about it. I'm not really that interested. We do have a Discord server where there is all there's a fantastic community that we have uh, of people who listen to Weekly Manga Recap. There is uh, a role playing channel on there. Not that kind of RP. Actually, maybe it is. I don't know. I don't. <laughs> you don't know. You haven't been there. It could be full of vor- It's. It might just be a vor RP. It might. Uh, we post how your character tastes. That's part of the description. Like age. Uh, hair color, <laughs> taste, <laughs> digestion time. <laughs> it's all in German, too, because, of course, it's only our German listeners who are doing it. <laughs> so it's like, sprechen de taste. <laughs> sprechen de taste. <laughs> <laughs> I have to get through the rest of this. Just go on. <laughs> I have to do the rest of this. We have a Discord server where you can also have very normal conversations, and we have an Among Us game on Saturday morning. <laughs> Hang on a second. I'm just gonna. I'm just gonna. I'm just gonna reset the last two minutes yeah. of my brain. And we're good. Okay. So. If you want to follow us on social media, you can use that to find out exactly where I'm going to be starting the show at WMR Podcast at Relative and at Nick F Time. We normally go on twitch.tv slash relative to stream the recording of the of the podcast around 730 Eastern time on Wednesday evenings, but sometimes it changes up. Social media will you know exactly when it happens. Also be on the Discord server will you know when that happens. If you would like to send us feedback about our show, you can do that through Discord. You can also ask us questions for our QA episodes by using the Google Doc that is maintained by Ninja X3i. Thank you for all the work on that. It helps us to keep track of so many different things associated with the podcast, including recommendations for future manga for us to read. We are currently on the verge of being ready to talk about quintessential quintuplets. We are probably almost definitely going to be talking about that next week so we can get that in before the break between new chapters. We want to give special thanks to people who support us on Patreon. We put content on there uh, for you guys to enjoy. We have conversations. uh, We make tier lists. We have top 10 lists uh, and stuff. All sorts of different conversations Mm -hmm. that uh, just just did a a 40K lore explanation video to Nick where we had Sonic Ave come on. It's very good stuff. And, uh, we'll be uh, having we'll have another one coming up there soon. Mm-hmm. Uh, we also want to give special thanks to Steve Mann, our talk artist. You can check him out wherever boobs are allowed to be drawn. And to Wensley Dale Cheddar and Milo Jack Stillitz for creating the opening sequence of Weekly Manga Recap. And that's everything. So. All right. That is going to do it. This leaves us just enough time then if we hurry for us to maybe find out what Kenny Omega is going to say at the end of AW, Nick. Aren't you excited? I mean, you joke about that, but I might actually tune over. <laughs> oh no, dude, that—that's the lie. I watched Impact last night, like the first time in like six years. So Did you actually watched the whole thing? Yeah, I watched the whole thing. I just, I just went on Twitch. I just went on Twitch afterwards and watched the last five minutes. Of the well, show, so. Uh, so here's a secret, Nick. So I was actually recording Dice Funk at the time that that happened, and here's kind of a little secret. Uh, when I'm not the one who has to actively talk, sometimes I just do other stuff. 
And I just like, cause like, here's the thing: the fuck, I have fucking two characters in it. So, and one character is the only one in the storyline that they're in. So, anytime we cut to that, I'm like, ah, oh, I got to be all involved with that. When it's the other character's time, I kind of just turn the volume of the Skype call down a little bit and <laughs> watch a couple, watch a little bit of impact. Now, don't tell Austin; it would make him sad, and his heart is no way. so I'm fragile. We haven't stopped recording the episode, Chris. <laughs> oh no! 